You got a problem, little man? No. No. No, sir. No problem here. Then put your fucking eyes somewhere else. What it is, I'm just a fan of romance. Can I ask you a question? She looked like that before you rode her cross country? The fuck did you say, you little midget? See, I always wondered. All these butt-faced human pieces of garbage out there walking the earth. Who's making them? I mean, what kind of Frankenstein monsters are out there copulating to create all these hunks of shit people in the world? Then I come in this bar, here's you two. Give me the answer I've been looking for my whole fucking life. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. It's the greatest trick the devil ever, ever pulled in an episode, if you know what I mean. It constantly had me looking at one hand while it was doing all this really interesting shit with the other hand. Um, until later on when it was just like, ah, look at the other hand. And I was like, oh my God, where did you pull that rabbit from? Yeah. Um, oh, so, and I oh. cried like a child, Duncan. Oh, no, you did not. Of course I did. You fucking sappy bastard. I am, <laughs> man. You you give me two scenes back to back that are both like the first one it was like, "All right, that was that was really emotional." <laughs> and then the next thing I know, like I said, like Dorf is cry hugging a stray dog and I'm like, oh. "The fuck are you doing, true detective?" Yeah, D- Dorf by the way. See if that man does not walk away with an Emmy. Oh boy, what a what a banger of an ending for him too. Yeah. I mean, it was... and if, if he does get that Emmy, I think if I was him, I would just I I, I would smugly accept it. See, Luke is on the fucking map now. That guy, see, with a couple of really good choices in movies in the next two three years, he could honestly. People, I, I think I think we've all been slipping on him for years. I don't. Yeah, you you've been a real dwarf head. Yeah. <laughs> hey, welcome I, I, to Duncan and Bo. Come correct, everyone. I knew you were going to start there. <laughs> Fucking yeah, I knew it. Uh, this is, of course, Duncan and Bo. Uh, come true, detective. Um, where we uh, keep our bad title because I couldn't come up with a better one at the time. And then, it's too late now. <laughs> and yeah, and then since since then, a bunch of people were like, "What about this?" It's like, yeah, that's way better. Where were you three years ago, motherfucker? <laughs> sleeping. That's where you were. Um, sleeping on names. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, due to tradition. Uh, this is Duncan and Bo come true detective. And, uh, and this is the finale, Duncan. This is the last episode of certainly not. I would imagine true detective, uh, nor our coverage of, of said true detective just this season. I hope not. I, I, what I'm, what I want to see. Oh, it's, it's a weird thing. Like I think if HBO were prepared to give Nick Pizzolatto another run at this, after the critical response that was season two, there ain't no way he doesn't get a chance to come back and do a season four after the critical response to season three, which has been across the board pretty fucking phenomenal. I I have not kept up with that. Like I intentionally don't read stuff about True Detective while I'm watching the show because I like to I like to enjoy it. I like I know you go down the the conspiracy rabbit holes, but yes. I I sort of like to let it just unfold and and have my own pet theories, sort of un, untampered. Like I'm on my own little Gilligan's Island. Yeah. And I, I, and of of watching, but has the critical response been good? 
It's been great. What I've done, what I tend to do is like I, I it's very much like how I review movies as well. I, I like once I've settled my mind on how I feel about something, I then go and see what the what what, what other voices think. Um, it tends to be more. I, I'm more curious if I've rated something low and people have rated it higher than me. I tend to like be like, well, what did I miss? You know, what I mean, what, what am I missing here? If I tend to score things high and people score them low, I, I don't care. I'm <laughs> resolute. If anything, it makes me double down on my score. Um, but just in general, I think across the board, um, you've been talking about anywhere from 8 out of 10 to 9 out of 10 for every single episode. Um, right across, which is great. Uh, and I... I, I I think some of those scores are a bit low. I think there's at least two episodes in this season which I would give solid ten out of ten marks to, where I just thought like the story, the plot, the and then this end episode which we're going to get into today, um, I think has shown a complete different side of Nick Pizzolatto, and I think there's not only a maturity here um, and and what he's doing, but I I genuinely think this man has crafted. A season of TV, unlike any other, I can't think of any other show that did. I can think of plenty of shows that have done things similar, but not in the t- detective world, not in true crime. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, I, I I cannot see any world where HBO don't double down on this. And of course, HBO just now are trying to compete with the Netflixes and the Amazon Primes, and they're putting a lot of money into trying to craft not only the original content but original content that flows into like like seasons that flow into seasons so there's a reason that when something like sharp objects finish you know the ne- they're already advertising the next big show that's going to carry them through to true detective starts and then the next bit like they've already I, I can't remember what we're moving on to next but i think they've got Another one show which is going to carry them through till Game of Thrones. Then Game of Thrones will carry them through, etc. So they've got it all lined out. And um, yeah, they want to keep that running. My thought is you give them the time. And we said this last week. Give If if it takes them two years to come up with a script, it takes two years to come up with that script. What what this has proved is, given time, Nick Pizzolatto will deliver. Um, And if he's rushed... He'll still deliver, it just might be a bit more messy um than than we would expect. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Uh I I I agree. I think that the <laughs> sort of the magic fairy dust here is time mm-hmm. for true detective. Just like, yeah, <laughs> let, let him go do his thing. Eventually he's gonna he'll he'll come back with something that if seasons one and three are any indication he like like you said the you know he's clearly capable of greatness and uh and this season you know we'll we'll talk about it at the end uh in in a little bit more depth but yeah i think we both agree that this season has been you know if if not better than season 1 there is a conversation to be had about that yeah and and I that is so. remarkable yeah, I think um, it says a lot that on the night this episode aired, um, Marshall Lee was up picking up an Oscar, and I think the and, and I love I, 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 regardless how shitty people want to be Green Book. Maybe it's not the greatest movie of the year, but it's a really fucking good movie, and I would highly recommend everyone go out and see it because you will laugh, you'll smile, 
you'll it gives you food for thought whether or not it plays footloose and fancy free with the actual events. Some people could throw the same accusations at Bohemian Rhapsody. Um but on the night he picks up that Oscar, I'm sitting back thinking he is acting circles around that role in True Detective. Like oh, sure. clear clear circles around that role in True Detective and any greatness is on the horizon for not only him, but hopefully Stephen Dorff, who damn near stole this whole fucking season out of nowhere. Like people were like, remember when you were like Matthew McConaughey and, and True Detective? Matthew McConaughey was a well-established actor by then that had been, a, you know, a million dollar draw for years. He'd just done it in rom-coms and he played a particular role and he was just finding that he was getting a bit bored with that and he wanted to challenge himself and True Detective was the vehicle for that Stephen Dorff was, no one was talking about that casting at all because people were like the Blade guy (laughs) (laughs) right, yeah, I was one of them Duncan, I I ain't no better you hired the, and he's going to be up Opposite Marshall, the, the guy from Moonlight? Well, that just seems like a bit of bad casting. And I'll tell you right now, might be the best bit of casting that True Detective as a show has ever done in that I think he turned in a fucking flawless performance the entire episode. And right to the very end kept me guessing. And like, we're going to get to it, but... There was a moment in here and I was like, if you turn heel right now, True Detective, I will fucking burn this motherfucker down this house is coming down like i swear to god see i knew you had that as a pet theory and we had talked about that a little bit and it it had crossed my mind certainly but in this episode in particular what i will look yeah we we, we have so much to say about this episode we're so excited to talk about it but first though donkey yeah quit fucking around (laughs) oh dear (laughs) we have a thing we do on this show where we talk about what we've been watching one good one bad and mm-hmm. that's what we do before we talk about uh the the true detective episode so knock it off <laughs> <laughs> and uh and tell me though i am excited because i've i've actually got a good uh recommendation not recommendation you've already seen it i'm just excited to talk to you about it but before we get to my shit let's hear your shit Right, so let's do the bad first, but I'm going to pull a bow here in that this movie's bad, but it's fucking great. Go on. All right, so uh, (laughs) I I feel that you may have seen this one before. If you have not, oh, sir, I cannot wait for you to watch this movie. Um, So this is uh, as part of my 88 Films Italian Collection series. Occasionally, a lot of the series are movies I've never seen before because my knowledge of Italian cinema really doesn't stem that much out of the the, the, the kind of gialli side of things. That's that's my strong suit. It was the the vein that I tapped early on, uh, which produced the most gold for me. You know, I mean, it was the the, the, you know that's that's my that's my bag. That's my that's my wheelhouse. but these directors did fucking everything. Like, the, the guys that were involved at that time would turn their hand to it, and these versatile workhorse directors would just do, like, five movies a year, and they would all be different genres. And one of my favourite kind of... One of my favourite directors who I don't... I think he's getting a bit of attention nowadays that people are finally starting to pay attention to the work he did and give him the credit for it is a guy called Sergio Martino. I think Martino is, at times, has maybe one of the 
most striking visualise out of all the, the, the kind of maestros of the time period. A Martino movie looks like a lot of money was spent on it when seldom seldom was there a lot of money being spent hard hard to imagine the budgets were giant yes yes but they always looked amazing uh and he directed some of my favorite jallos but he's obviously he did other bits and bobs um he also turned his hand oh man to a mad max um slash escape from new york italian ripoff uh, called 2019 After the Fall of New York. Have oh, you ever seen it? Oh, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's... <laughs> All right, little spoiler, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an episode of uh, Witch v. Doomsday Clock with he and I <laughs> talking about this. This is this is it's a terrible movie. It, it is, mm, oh, I mean, saying, yes, but... It's a terrible... Like, I'll tell you, it's a terrible movie in that the effects are awful. Uh, the setup is te- the storyline is terrible, right? What they're hunting for is terrible. And there's some questionable choices in this movie. However, the director thinks he's making a good movie. The actors are acting serious. The score is bitching, and I smiled from start to finish. I thought yeah. this was fucking brilliant. It's, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Right? It, it's like someone. <sighs> Someone was making Escape from New York based on someone having told them the plot of Escape from New York. Not having seen it themselves. Just like they knew someone who saw it once and they described it. And it's, it's fucking wonderful. And... Like what is going on with these death chips? The like the there's a license to kill that makes you a mm-hmm. citizen. Like there's a, a lot of world building and none of it makes any sense. And it doesn't pay off. There's no pay no, off. I think that the moment the moment I I knew that we were in because the whole setup at the beginning, <laughs> the whole setup at the beginning is totally. I watch. I was like, this is Mad Max, right? This is Mad Max. I get he's a road warrior. And Death Race two thousand. Oh, bit that's in there. In there. Of yeah. course. And I'm watching. I'm like, right. This is right. This is kind of this. This is what I expected, right? And then he's taken to meet the leader of the government on what can only be described as a fucking Thunderbird set of miniatures, like, on Antarctica, maybe? It's Alaska, Uh, Duncan. Here in Alaska. See when this tiny little model is, like, dragged along by a clearly a bit of string and then drop down all this fake smoke on what they've clearly not even bothered to try and hide from the fact that this is a model this is a miniature i was like oh dear god this is this is awesome and, and then i sat back and let the movie wash over me bo and it, it, it was just it it delighted me at how like here are your two you're like here, here are your two sidekicks that will help you this guy here and this guy called ratchet he is the strongest man known to man. He will attack you with his bolas, which are actually just like little beads from an executive toy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my god! The thing that did the, the thing that did make me a little bit uncomfortable, and obviously time is never kind to these movies, is there is a dubious rape scene. Wait, wait, wait! It is the most chilling shit. That has yeah. ever happened in a movie. And it's not the implied rape, which is horrifying. It's the fact that our main character's plan yep. hinged oh, well. on that rape. 
yeah. and it's oh. like, oh no. Oh, yeah. oh. If, I, if, I leave the, if I leave the hairy man in with this woman, because the story for, for our listeners out there, we're in the future. <laughs> It's 20 years in the future. The world's been ravaged. People are mutated. Um, and uh, there is only one woman left who can bear children. And um, the good guys, question mark, want her kidnapped. So she can, from the, the 5,000 eggs that she has, they can harvest 5,000 humans. Which, by the way, I'm no... I'm no biologist, Bo, but I'm I'm fairly sure that's not how that works. Um, just saying. Just uh, Wikipedia but, it. It is how that works. Ah, well, that's good to know. I take that back. Uh, but yeah, so like, but at some point, the the befriend this fucking hairy mutant man who keeps talking about how how virile he is, yeah. and our hero, our hero, basically takes a walk outside, leaving this guy. And another woman who he knocks out, and then he walks into a room and then talks about he, how he will be made immortal after he impregnates her, and then fucks her in her sleep. And then we're like that, oh no. And then at the end of the movie, we find that that is our hero's plan all along. And I'm like, what the actual fuck? Because apparently the hero knew that there was some sort of doomsday weapon in the tunnel and needed him as a human shield or something yeah i have no idea but it's amazing um like just the, the ev- everything about the movie should not work but combined together it's just brought and the 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 evil the evil kind of head of the, the the evil army who is this wonderful villain who's totally underutilized and then there's a whole scene with him getting repaired and then his subordinate kills him to take over that side but that story goes doesn't go anywhere you know no. she assumes oh, no, no, power no. and they're like no we don't care about that yeah now. the movie ends with them just like fuck it let's go to space i guess oh yeah it's oh, the-, the whole speed thing is brilliant it's, yeah just just a wonderfully bad but <laughs> yeah. amazingly entertaining movie oh it sure is oh my goodness it's wonderful martino man this is like that's what i love about doing these movies is that there is. They were putting out so many movies at that time that occasionally you just stumble across across this phenomenally bad but amazing movie. And um, I just dare like, you uh, to tell me that Alfonso Cuarón did not see this movie before he made Children of Men. <laughs> I dare you, sir? The thing is, these are the sorts of movies that people like Quentin Tarantino were watching. In the video store back in the day, and this is why he references them all. Yeah, like like Tarantino's a huge Martino fan, um, and these are the movies that he's seen. So they had an impact. They had an impact with directors, and giving them their voice to do things differently. I I just that uh, yeah, it's it's my bad, but for the first time maybe ever in my bad, I'm actually recommending the movie. So I would I would second that recommendation with the big caveat of. Hey, by the way, the master heist plan of this movie involves the rape of a sleeping woman. Yes, yes. <laughs> I would say it pivotally pin, uh, hinges on that aspect. Um, so, yeah, you have, yeah. To, you have to get on board with that, our GTFO. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, just you have to understand the context of something like that. But um, Which is still, I mean, like, it's no excuse, of course. But, mm, you know, what are you going to do? It's like it's like having a racist grandfather. It's like, look, he was he was born at a different time. Yeah, it was okay to talk like that. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, 2019 is your racist grandpa of a movie. Only he's hilarious and farts a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, so, but what's your good movie? It's a good movie, no surprise at all. I talked about how I was going to see it the last time we recorded. It is the new S. Craig Zeller movie, Dragged Across Concrete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm excited to hear. Uh, how was it? Um, it's his most commercial movie to date, but for sure. It's not as tense um, or as violent, really. I, I, like a lot of the things I heard about it going into it, um, it's weirdly... It's once it's a weirdly mature movie. Well, interesting that we're about to talk about like episode eight of True Detective. It's a weirdly mature movie that has wonderful nods to um, kind of seventies um, cop cops and robbers sort of movies. It has a very like in the past he has in the past I have compared him to people like Tarantino, um, but not. Expressly, just in that I think he tells stories similar to how Tarantino tells stories. Just maybe not so much in the dialogue side of things, but the way the stories unfold. And I would say that this movie has a more... has a very unique idea of how characters speak and their quirks and how they speak them. Um, I think, like, Vince Vaughn, for example, has certain words that he replaces for like well-established ones so he, he doesn't say a uh, sleep he says process so a process for five hours which is and he, you hear that and you go that's a weird turn of phrase but he uses it more than once in the movie so you're just like that's his word for sleep um and that kind of trickles into a lot of the language in the movie um but in a really like clever way it's it's strangely funny. It's got a weird sense of humour that I kind of loved. Um, Mel Gibson is brilliant in it. Vince Vaughn is brilliant in it. Udo Kier is brilliant in it. Jennifer Gardner is brilliant in it. His cast choice across the board is fucking great. The movie is weirdly restrained. And whilst it's not the most original I've seen, it, it's, I mean, it's a two and a half hour movie that f- fucking zips in and feels like you've just watched an hour. Um, and it's just this really cool story, like this kind of seventies aesthetic. I, I think it's I think it's a wonderful movie. I would say that it's probably my least favorite of his movies, but it's fucking great. You know, it's it's, it's a great. It's a four and a half out of five star movie for me. Whereas dragged, um, whereas like Brawl and Cell Nine and uh, Nine Nine and um, what's his other one? The Western. Oh, oh. Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk are five-star movies for me. So it's just below that. And to be honest with you, I can feel myself wanting to revisit Dried Across Concrete more than I would want to revisit those other movies. Um, just in that, there's I, I, I don't have to sit and dread throughout the entire movie. I, I just thought it was great. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and yet, to me, this is now Craig Zahler's done his... Um, He's done his kind of Western horror movie. He's done his 70s kind of grindhouse prison movie. And now he's done his 70s um, kind of cops heist movie. 
And all three of them have been fucking phenomenal. So this guy, <laughs> FYI, uh, this guy is brilliant. He's he's a fucking great director with a great voice, and I cannot wait. I what I really enjoy about it is he he obviously clearly wears his influence influences on his sleeves, but is not pigeonholed into. Right, well, I'm you know, people love that cannibal movie, so I'm just gonna do another cannibal movie, or people love that Western story I told, so I'm just gonna do that. Everyone has its own feel, has its has its own room to breathe, and he, he takes his time and really doubles down on his character development. So when bad shit happens later on in the movie, you you roll with it. You, and you care about the characters. Um, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant movie. I think it gets formally released in April. And if if you're a fan of S. Craig Zahler's work, you need to check it out. Show this guy some support because I can't wait to see what he does next. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, Duncan, uh-huh. um, we're going to do my my bad quickly. Because oh. uh, it's just not, it's just a bad movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's called Gehenna, Where Death Lives. And oh, I'm not heard of this one. Yeah, it was one of those things that that popped up on uh, Netflix a couple of times, you know, when it's like, hey, you might like this movie because you're a weirdo. And <laughs> this movie was made for $12 and somebody dies in it. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, no, but it, it's... It was kind of a creature feature, and in the big failing of the movie, and let me let me do a compliment sandwich on Gehenna where death lives. Mm-hmm. The special effects are pretty good and inventive. Right. Uh, there, there's the compliment bread. Also, every performance in the movie makes you want to punch yourself in the face. Oh no! <laughs> it is, it is one of the clearest examples of movie uh, of a movie being undone by its own casting and and performance, as, mm-hmm. as well as just the production itself being kind of cheap overall. Um, and uh, the end compliment is the end was kind of neat. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but it's not, it was a bad movie. And it, it was made all the worse for having glimpses of being a pretty good kind of monster curse horror movie in a, mm-hmm. in kind of a claustrophobic space. And it just fucked it all up. Um, oh, no. yeah, it, was a, it was a bummer. But it's one of those things that I would still throw on in the background even now, because legitimately some of the special effects are, there's some practical makeup work in it. That's like, yeah, that's kind of eerie and, and fun, mm-hmm. you know? Um, anyway, uh, so that's more of a, a compliment Dagwood Duncan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I never thought I would reference the Dagwood sandwich. I'm I'm so happy. I'm 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 glad I was here to hear it. I've I'm strangely proud of myself. Um so here's the good movie though I saw that I really really dug. I just watched it today as a matter of fact. Uh The Hole in the Ground. Oh, right. I I have not I've still see it. So I'm holding off cuz I want to see it in the big screen. So Uh <clears throat> well, you know, I didn't get out to the cinema Duncan, but I got a pretty big screen. Yeah, well, I understand that, Bo. I, I've had a screener now for, 
Well, I've had it for about three weeks, and I, I I keep hearing amazing things about it, and I'm like, I really need to watch it, but I know for a fact it's getting released in the first week of March in the UK on the big screen, and I'm like that. Kind of want to just go out and watch it in the cinema and do do my little bit, bro. Do my little bit over here to make sure more movies find their way to the cinema. Of course. Uh, so let me let me tell you how I enjoyed it without spoiling it to the best of my ability. Go for it. All right. So Kaiser Soze. Now, um, <laughs> it is a first of all, I like an Irish brogue. Uh, it's good on the ears. That I know you don't give a shit. I like it. Um, I, know, I do. I do like an Irish accent. I just don't fawn over it as much as you Americans, and then try and claim some ancestry to Ireland. You weirdos. I, <laughs> people, I, people in Ireland are trying to claim ancestry elsewhere because they don't want to be Irish. You guys are trying to be Irish. What the fuck is going on? It's a vicious cycle. Okay. <laughs> um, Suck on the laugh. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> Hey, hey, did you see that uh, Lion King teaser? The one where it's like, hey, we CGI'd some animals instead of animating them this time? Yep. I, I am inherently skeptical about this whole let's just make every single Disney cartoon into a live action. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's I really a dumb am. idea. I mean, I, in saying that, though, I did see the trailer for Dumbo, and Dumbo looks legit good. But then uh, Dumbo, to me, is old enough that you can do that. The Lion King is not. I gotta say, though, even with all the CGI stuff, I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. I would actually see that. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, you know, there's no reason for this movie to exist in my mind, but also mm-hmm. I like the Lion King enough. And I'm like, oh, okay, those look all right. Not looking forward to that. Um, Aladdin. No, I no. That looks unpleasant. There is something off-putting about that I, the genie look. There's yeah. like that uncanny valley thing of just like, oh, that is. There's something not quite right about that. It's the fucking Razzie Award waiting to happen. That's oh, I know, I know. Like <laughs> that is a movie that will probably make plenty of money when it comes out, but no one's gonna like it. No, of course not. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I say that, but the genie is such a big part of it, and I just don't. I I don't think I like Will Smith all that much. Well, yeah. Plus, I don't think like like Will like Will Smith may have started his career there, but I I don't know if I want to see older Will Smith doing all. Like, yeah, yeah. The, I think that's you it. Know what I mean, yeah, uh, it's, he's he's getting on a bit. It's like the same with the people are all fawning over the idea of a new Bad Boys movie. Uh, which they're filming, and I'm like, do I really want it? But like, I like the first one to an extent. I don't like the second one at all. Do I really want to spend more time with two aging comedians who really haven't done anything in that world for a long time, trying to reclaim some sort of weird like comedy cred on screen? No, <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah, I, I want to. I, I just feel like I want to see more grown-up roles out of Will Smith, and not him being like he's charming, but he's not necessarily funny to me. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So when I think of the genie, I of course think of Robin Williams, mm-hmm. uh, and you obviously can't mimic that performance without a lot of cocaine. So much cocaine, like all the cocaine. Right. All of it in the greater Los Angeles area. 
Mm-hmm. And and nobody's gonna give it up because everybody likes their cocaine, Duncan. Am I right? <laughs> but <laughs> cocaine, cocaine. You know, skag, yayo, uh, uh, <laughs> clean burning propane. <laughs> I was gonna say you may as well just go for it. Yeah, that's a deep cut for the old old school listeners. Yeah, that's a callback. Um. Anyway, but uh, I don't know why. I, I do know how we got here, but enough of this Disney shit. I'm just saying, like, when I saw the Lion King thing, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Surprisingly okay with it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so this uh, hole, hole in the ground thing. I almost said the hole in the floor. That's a different movie. <laughs> uh, hole in the ground. Um, so what it is is you got uh, your Irish mother with mm-hmm. her Irish kid. Mm-hmm. going to some remote house in Ireland to get away from things. And uh, there is uh, a legend that I don't know is Ireland specific, but I think maybe it hails from there originally, this idea of doppelganger children. Yes. And and that is essentially the premise of the film, is mm-hmm. a, a mother begins to suspect that her kid may not be her child. Yeah. And here, here's what I like about hole in the ground. Cause other movies have done kind of a similar premise. And, um, uh, there was in, in particular, I want to say it was in a Christmas horror movie or a horror yes. story. They, they did in a Christmas horror story. They do. Um, it's a kid who goes through the tree and then yeah. it's replaced by the, yeah. Yeah. So there, there's, you know, hints of that for sure. Um, a lot of Babadook, in, mm-hmm. in in the sense that there is that thematic um, idea and something that I really like when movies explore this idea of a parent coming to the notion of like, I wonder if my child is, is trying to hurt me. Yeah. You know, uh, even something like uh, we have to talk about Kevin is kind of like that. You know, in yeah. It's a um, fear of uh, what's it? Patricide. Is that what it's called? Yeah. 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 So um, it handles that really well. And then when it gets around to being like, okay, we're going to be kind of a more, you know, direct horror film now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all that stuff is pretty rad. And and it lands with it lands in a place that makes perfect sense and is and is kind of horrifying. Nice. And and I will I will be very curious. Um it, it's one of those things that we're going to have a two minute conversation after you see it about what that ending, why that ending is so horrifying and, and we're both going to feel smart. Nice. So. Nice. I look forward to it. So hopefully, like I say, um, I think it's the first week in March that makes its way over here. So, so next week. Yeah. 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 It's right around the corner, Duncan. Time keeps mm-hmm. on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. <laughs> Just as we will keep slipping, 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 and detecting, detecting, detecting. Mm-hmm. That's right, Duncan. Uh, it is time for episode eight of season three of True Detective. Uh, this is entitled Now Am Found. Uh, it is written by Monsieur Nick Pizzolato and uh, directed by Daniel Sackheim, who uh, did a, a, an episode earlier in the season 
uh, kind of uh, taken over some of the duties from Pizzolatto as director, which I think it's just the, those three, right? Sackheim, Pizzolatto, and, and Saulnier kicking it off. Yeah, Saulnier did the first two. So originally, if we all remember, original Saulnier was scheduled to do, I think, the bulk. He was supposed to do most of them. Um, but the the filming took too long, and he had Hold the Dark lined up as a project in Netflix. So he exited to do Hold the Dark. Yeah, so. I, I I mean, I would love to see him return to do some more work with True Detective. I mean, whatever. Look, I'll show up. Whatever Jeremy Solnay wants to do, I'm there. Oh um, yeah, he's he's got he's got a pass for life. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that guy that guy has me day one of whatever he does for life. I I'll tell you, man. Green Room. The more I think about Green Room, the more I'm like, man, that, that is maybe a perfect film. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Like, and, and the thing is, I to me, I think Blue Ruins better than green room i know it's, it's certain yeah i think, I think it's it's yeah. it's more thoughtful for sure yeah there's just something tonally about like just just the the atmosphere and tone of blue rune stick stuck with me for like almost a week after watching it there's like this heavy shroud of depression that just kind of clung to my clothes after watching mm-hmm. it but yeah, yeah he's like the phenomenal phenomenal he, director and he, he directed the shit out of those first two episodes i think that's where when and when in those first two episodes it was setting up a lot whilst not giving you a lot and he 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 rolled the roost doing that you know what i mean nick pizzolato has delivered and his two episodes a, a lot of the a lot of the driving dialogue and the big action set piece for him. And this guy right now that we're going to talk about, who who's done the majority of this season, um, has, I think, just done a phenomenal job as well. It just, it's, it's a shame that it, it just happens to be in the same season as one of our favourite directors and the guy who fucking is going to get a lot of praise from me for writing like so well in this season, so... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. There's one shot in particular we'll get to that's like, oh, that's a really cool... This whole sequence is is a, a really cool moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duncan, let's uh, let's jump into this fucking episode. Mm-hmm. So we, we begin very uh, artistically with images of uh, the scenes we have come to know on the show, like the Devil's Den and the house uh, on the corner of Shoepick. And then... We we come around, and all this is set to a million narrating their uh, a poem, um, and uh, yeah. plus plus the places that we go to that used to be vibrant centers of life, like the community center, the church, and all the rest, are all boarded up now. Yeah, and this is sometime after 1990 because when we see Hayes, it's post 90. He's getting a little bit of gray, but it's not 2015. It's just sometime in the 90s. Yeah, he's he's. We can hear Amelia talking, and he's walking, and we see on his badge that he is he. He's either head of security or he's a security officer on a university campus. Yeah, yeah, it, University of Arkansas head of security. Um, and Amelia, it turns out, is teaching in an, a scene very much like when we first met her in the first episode. Yep, it is Hayes walking up to the door of her classroom. And listening to her say, time is the fire in which we burn. (laughs) And he leans against the doorway and smiles. And this is, this is Pizzolatto telling you right up front, like, listen, motherfuckers, 
here's what this episode is going to be. It this mystery is, doesn't matter. You know, like we're yeah. we're going to wrap it up and you're going to feel fine about it. But th- let's let's just start from the jump. This is a story about about Wayne Hayes and Amelia and and his relationships with the people around him. But it's cleverly set up. It's really cleverly set up in that and we're going to do we're going to we're going to have to discuss this quite a lot in terms of audience expectation. Yes. Show setup and what's actually going on in the show. So the previous episode finished with him getting into the car of Hoyt um, and being driven away. Me and you hypothesized, I think everyone hypothesized, he's going to get the shit scared out of him and there's going to be some sort of threat against his family and as a result of that, he's going to drop the case, his wife's going to drop the book and they're going to basically be strong-armed out of what they want to do. And this is going to be so. When we join them on campus, like the the kind of thought process is, well, Hoyt got what he wanted. Hoyt obviously, obviously, Bo um, threatened him at so much so that he is now working security, and his wife had to go back to what she was so desperately trying to get away from the first time we met her. She didn't want to be a teacher. She was bored by being a teacher. What horrible, hideous, threatening thing did this Hoyt guy do? Yeah. And, and the show gives you that to begin with, and then you find out very quickly it's not what you think. Yeah, so 1990, Don, uh, Duncan, here we are with uh, Hayes in the car with Hoyt, as played by uh, by uh, William Rooker. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Michael Rooker. Uh, Michael Rooker, yeah. Fuck, I blinked on his name for a second. I was like, <laughs> William Rooker? That doesn't sound right. It's, you know why, Duncan? It's not his name. That's uh, not, well, I'm sure there is a William Rooker out there, but he is not in this episode. He is, he is most certainly not. It's uh, Michael Rooker doing a great kind of, you know, shitty burl eyes from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof or something. He's, he's like, Michael Rooker has maybe my favorite, my favorite way of playing intimidating drunk man. Like on screen, he's just fucking great at it. Yeah. Like I always, when every performance is, even those Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I'm like that. Did he have one or two drinks before he come on screen? There's uh-huh. just always this kind of, there's just this vibe that emanates from. The, 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 the really cool thing about him as well as an actor is I think at times I've seen him in roles. Like if you think of something like even back to a movie that we've referenced quite a few times here, if you think of something like JFK, right, and his performance in that movie of this kind of, kind of ne'er-do-well trying to help Kevin Costner do what he has to do sort of character and then you think about him in something like uh, I mean Henry yeah like two completely different roles and he handles them really well but there's always that kind of underlying murmur of shit could kick off like yeah and if it does you may not want to be there when it does yeah i weirdly i think jesse plemons is the michael rooker of the next generation Mm -hmm. uh he is like a lot of he is one of those actors that seems like there's always something going on behind his eyes where you're like man is he okay like he could he might hurt somebody today yeah yeah and that please perfectly like this is genius casting by the way 
this whole thing is genius casting. Talk about those scenes in like in movies or in stories where you are on edge. Like I'm on edge from the moment Hoyt tells him, right? We're you know like he's just like, where are we going? He's like, ah, why are we driving out? Into the woods, he's like that because I want to speak to you alone, and you know I want I want to be away from everyone else, and I want to have a word with you alone. And you're like that, right? I've seen enough things to know that there's probably going to be a grave dug up here, or <laughs> he's going to uh-huh. make him dig his own grave, and then at the last minute tell him this is where his kids and his family's going to, you know, all this shit because we know something's happened with his daughter, and they're not speaking, or that he's estranged from his daughter, so maybe that's what happened. So I'm racing through all. This is the genius of doing three storylines, by the way. This is yeah. like it's so fucking clever, right? So I'm like, you know, something really bad's going to happen here, uh, and once again, it. it's the look at this hand you think you know what you're going to get oh by the way the magic was always happening somewhere else yeah thing because like it's well it's it's like you said it's playing with audience perception of this is the big moment this is where we 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 it's the finale here's Hayes he has been all of this has led all of the investigation has led to this moment with Hoyt and Hayes in the car Mm-hmm. And and that well and then ultimately when you know as Hoyt continues drinking and it's just like come take a walk with me <laughs> and uh <laughs> and decides to, to take him deeper into the woods and starts telling stories about the army and being in Korea and it's like five thousand men died <laughs> and Marshall Lee is like. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was in recon, and he's like, "Well, the reason I bring that up is because we were both army. You understand triage." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "So, tell me what happened to Harris James." And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah. <laughs> that real like <laughs> wasn't me. It's uh, Harris who, and uh, and Hoyt's just like, "Yeah, they, like, this this sort of." It's going to piss me off. You're just going to yeah. piss me off if you speak like this. Yeah, it's a real, like, uh, again, the tense, uh, the tenseness of the scene. Uh, tension, I guess, is the right word for that. Is that Rooker acts like he knows everything. and But mm-hmm. there's no way that he could. And, and, and even yeah. if he does, uh, Mahershala Ali is certainly not copping to it. So yeah. it's yeah, he's he's, he's a shrewd like because I think Mahershal he's and like he's as a character, he's not dumb, right? You know what I mean? He and he's he, if anything, he's he's a surprisingly brave individual at times, and I think he knows himself right. I'm just gonna I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not going to admit anything. I'm not going to flat out deny anything. However, I'm going to see if I can. Both characters here are feeling the other character out to see if they make a mistake, right? Yeah. If they make a mistake, they're 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 both waiting to see if someone trips up, and when they trip up, they're going to pounce. And it's this great game of chess between these two very very sly, crafty individuals. And he's like, "Well, you know, I don't know what you mean." Like, we spoke to him, we interviewed him. He's like, "Oh, yeah, what did you talk to him about?" And he's like, "Well, Julie Purcell." Right, and this is where he jabs back a little bit. He's like, "Yeah, we're at, yeah, like we're asking about whether he had anything to do with her abduction. Like we're close to you is kind of the implication." 
Yeah, yeah, like we've we've narrowed it down this close to you. So, um, and he's like, all right, did he say anything? He was like, yeah, and he's like, so basically, the conversation from this spins out very little given away from either side, right? And, Until and- Hoyt finally is just like, so, what do you think happened to him if he's yeah. gone? And he and Marshally uh, Hayes says like, I don't know, maybe he got scared. Maybe he just took off. Thought we would get close. And he's like, huh. Because, see, at our plant, we have the most sophisticated uh, like security system that I can afford. And also, the beeper that, that Harris James had was one of those new models that has a GPS in it. So I know the last place he was. Yeah. And he's like, how about we go we go visit that spot? And let me ask you, if we go there, are we going to need shovels? That's fucking great. Life. It's, oh, man, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, this scene is so fucking good. And it's, it's, it's so fucking good. It's like, like listen, I'm smiling while we're talking about it. It's so fucking good. Because, like, once again, it's just the tension in the air. Like, you're just, ex- you're expecting shit to kick off. Uh-huh. And, um... Basically, he's kind of lays out what he thinks may have happened, um, and around about without going into too much detail. And what Hoyt keeps leaning back on is that he doesn't know shit. And yeah. we're like, yeah, you, you're just saying that. You're just saying that because you don't want to say anything to the policeman. And he's drinking. He's drinking quite heavily. And then there was a moment, like when I started thinking to myself. What happens if Hoyt doesn't know shit? Well, and he is, by the way, led them both to this bluff where, he, like, they're on this rock ledge looking out, you know, onto this kind of valley. Yep. And and so there are these moments where they're both kind of walking up to the edge. I think it's very symbolic of, like, they're both almost telling the other person what's where they're at. Yeah. And, and from Hoyt's point of view, he's like, well, all right. So Hayes somehow mentions family, and Hoyt kind of gets wistful about the notion, you know, because he's drunk. Let's not forget, and is kind of being a little bit of that emotional drunk. And Hayes looks at this as an opportunity, and is like, you know, if we out here trading confessions, if there's mm-hmm. something you want to get off your chest, and uh. You know, Hoyt is like, do I look like the kind of guy that that has any fucking answers? Yeah. And it's I, it's a real it, gut I, punch. Yeah, but I think at that point, like, it, it, yeah, like it dawns on Hayes, but I think it dawns on the audience as well. Maybe Hoyt doesn't know anything. And if Hoyt doesn't know anything, then what the fuck is going on? Yeah, because we know there's a pink room in the bottom of his giant fucking mansion. We know that. We know that his security guard murdered uh, the the, the personal father. Um, is more likely involved with the abduction of the little girl, and maybe he was involved with like all these things you're spiraling out to to try and bring together. Maybe he was involved with the cover up of you know the son dying. And he's not a nice guy. He's he fucking must have killed the mother as well. So, and he works. He's the head of security for Hoyt. So how? 
what is going on, Bo? And like you ultimately end up at a bit of a stalemate because well, he's like that, you know, Hoyt's like, well, you know, I, I pretty much seen to that, you know, that case is closed now and it's not going any further. And Hayes is like, well, you know, just because the case is closed doesn't mean that I'm going to stop looking into it. You know, because I, I, you know, I, I can assure you right now until I get answers, I will not rest on this one. And Hoyt's like, well, you know, you can do that if you want. I'm just saying that maybe that's not a good idea. You know, I mean, maybe if you continue doing things, maybe I do a little something, and maybe things get a bit more serious, and maybe, maybe something happens to your family, or maybe you know, I'm not saying anything rude, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, and, and also implies like you know, uh, not just hey, we'll all hurt your family. He's like, but you know, you seem to be suggesting that you're doing this to protect her, but yeah. how about we make an arrangement of sorts that if you're not investigating this, there's no reason for me to look for. Exactly. Exactly. And at the same point, what you're saying is like that. Listen, she sounded like she's got a life somewhere as well. So why are you trying to find her? She sounds like from that last call, she sounds like she's somewhere and she's doing something and she has a life. And you know, if you want to look for her, that just means I have to look for her. And to be honest, I don't want to have to look for her. If we can just let this go, we can let this go. And um, we end on this weird kind of stalemate between these two characters where Hoyt hasn't come out and said like, in, in so many words well, that bad things will happen but at the same time you can read between the fucking lines here this guy has drove you out into the middle of the woods with the entourage of fucking guys that look like they protect the president you know what I mean um, and he's taking you out here and he's ba- he's got the he's got the power he's got the money and he's got the resources to do what, to back up what he says and he's has what he has a badge for a, a, a job where the people involved with it are just want to fuck him over left, right, and center. So yeah, yeah. I you know I you had know, my whole theory about the the AG, which turned out to not be a thing because yeah, that's ultimately out, not what the show was about. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, it turned out not to be a thing. But I think you're right on that theory. I yeah. think you've all. I think you were always right about that theory. Just to show once again is like that. Let's not like you can't you can have that if you want, but everyone does that story. That's not what I'm here to tell you, and um, that's kind of what I, I yeah. So we we basically leaves them on this rock face overlooking face. So you make your own way back, and um, well, if if I may, Duncan, what, where yes. this scene ends is kind of interesting because there's a parallel scene later where um as. Hoyt is walking away and and Hayes kind of says like what maybe one of these days I'll come asking questions again. Yeah. And and Hoyt says, "Now is that you just trying to find your balls?" Yeah. <laughs> or should I feel threatened? Fucking Michael Rooker, man. Yeah. Big and, William Rooker. <laughs> and and to to the point like Hayes never says anything. Like yeah. one once Hoyt says that Hayes is silent. Yeah. And and that's how the scene is left. And then, Duncan, mm-hmm. it's time to jump forward to 2015 with the best buddy cop movie that ever was. So fucking good. Like, I, like just give me, like, a whole series 
of old man Hayes and old man fucking Dorf in a fucking car just driving places and talking about shit. Or sometimes yeah. not even talking, just driving. Yeah, just hanging out and talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm with it. Uh, yeah, so... It, anyway, they're at the Blue Sky Elder Care Facility where they are questioning the uh, the the widow of Harris James, who is a nurse there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the uh, they're they're speaking to her specifically to find out if her husband ever mentioned or if she ever met a colored gentleman with a dead eye. Yes. And, and she's kind of aloof to begin with. She kind of doesn't want to really have this conversation. Uh, what I love about these two characters is they're both walking around with their cop badges on. Neither one of them's a cop. Um, you know, the, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Both of them are armed with guns because Arkansas. Uh, but both of them are just walking around with police badges on. And I'm like that. You're like, surely, see if someone in their 70s came up to me and questioned me as a detective, I'd be like that. You're not a detective. You're retired. You know, I mean, he retired a while ago. Uh, plus, right. it doesn't look like you can walk around all that easy either. So, uh, but yeah, they're asking her, and she eventually settles down to, yeah, there may have been this one guy that showed up at one point. In fact, he, he showed up to speak to me once. It was a couple of weeks after my husband went missing. Right, and um, she uh, she says that his name was Junius. Uh, and and that she was also kind of creeped out by the guy and, and thought that he was kind of implying that uh uh Harris James had had an affair or something and, and he was also trying yeah he was trying to find the girl did he find the girl did she yeah. know where the girl was um and this upset her she eventually got rid of him so we then cut a scene of them in the car and, which is the show where we want because yeah, like of the, shit like this <laughs> Yeah, they jump in the car and they tell them all like that, right? So, Junius, could that be Mr. June? And if that's his first name, then could his name be Junius? What was it? West? Watts. Junius Watts. Watts. Yeah. Junius Watts. And if that's the case, can we now like do a bit of a search at the DMV um, and find out if we can get a driver's license for a Junius Watts? And guess what, Bo? I'll be good goddamned if they don't be able to find an address for a Junius Watts. They do indeed. Uh, there's a great moment where Dorf on detecting, uh, as he's talking about the, the Junius Watt stuff, he's like, hey, remember that when we were talking about that maid? Uh, and uh, she said there's this whole place in the estate uh, where most people couldn't go. And he's like, yeah. I mean, I don't remember much, but I remember that. And, and Dorf is like, let's go check it out. And he says, so I guess you the lead detective now, Lieutenant. And Dorf just looks straight at the camera and goes, you're goddamn right I am. And, bow, bow, bow. and it, <laughs> in my notes, in my notes, I actually wrote, I am going to cry when he dies in this episode. Because <laughs> I was 100% sure that was going to happen. He literally finishes he finished his line that I had on my head. I was like, yeah. Yeah, it right. It just speed limits. I was like, yes, we're on the highway hell now. Go north. I'm so fucking happy. And I like I'm with you on this one. In my head, 
someone ain't making it out alive in this episode. You know, I mean, someone is going bye bye. But this episode is Nick Pizzolatto saying, "Hi, Duncan. Hi, Bo. Uh, every time you think you know where this show's going, it ain't." Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I genuinely thought, well, we said this. I thought one of them was going to die, and it's a shame because the their relationship just now is maybe my favorite on-screen relationship of two characters in True Detective ever. Like, yeah, I, I, would I agree. Happily spend yeah, like the, the, the Cole and Marty were were two characters that had their moments towards the end, but for most of the time, like loathed each other. You know what I mean? They load spending time because each of them uh, highlighted the things he didn't like about either their professions or that highlighted the flaws, magnified the flaws to, to, to almost biblical levels. And we didn't have that sort of relationship at all in True Detective Season 2. And in this one, we have this really solid, really grounded, really real kind of image of these two old guys who have been through the fucking wars figuratively and, you know, metaphorically, um, but at the same time are, are just, they've got one more thing to prove. This is the, this is the last hurrah. And yeah, I will follow them wherever that takes them. Even if it means they're going to break into this mansion, which is now in a trust. So no one actually lives in the property. It's, it's, it's deserted. So these two old guys are going to, fucking go up with some bolt cutters and just the greatest thing ever and I love it, I think it's I think this is like the right, we'll get to I'll, I'll finish it, I'll finish my train of thought at the end of the episode because I've got very strong opinions of why I love the character development of both these characters and how I think it's, it's maybe the best this show's ever done Okay, yeah, and I, I immediately don't disagree, and we'll uh, we can get into more of that. Um, but all right, so we go back to 1980, Duncan. Yeah, and it's Hazendorf in the office with the would be AG and the, yeah. the chief and all that, like their bosses, and they're like, "Hey, uh, so your girlfriend wrote an article." that basically fucked everything up and said that we di- we didn't actually solve the case that there was evidence that pointed elsewhere that we didn't follow so here's what we're going to do your pal the dwarf dwarfman here <laughs> sweet talked us into just sign- Go for mediation yes dwarf on diplomacy said <laughs> hey if if you'll just sign this letter that says that basically you got all hip, hypnotized by Harpoon yeah. and, and that you didn't know she was writing this article and that none of this is true, then it's all is forgiven. Yeah. And um, he's like, well, let me think on that. And... Because <laughs> it's, not, it's not just a case of he needs to sign this. If he doesn't sign this... He is going to be sent to what public relations, public information, yeah, which is just like hey, typing. typing. And if somebody public information here is stuff like hey, I need an address and shit like that. Yeah, you know, he's going to be doing that, and they know that's the last thing he wants to do. And if they say to him, "You will never 
work a case again. You will never. Right. And then the, the, the would-be AG turns around and says like that, you know, if that doesn't suit, you can always quit. Because that's what they want. That's yeah. what they want. They want him to either sign this and break him or he quits. Humiliate him or he quits. And um, like, like Dorfman Diplomacy, I so badly want the big yellow book of Dorfman Diplomacy sitting on my shelf. Yeah. I so badly fucking want that book. Um, he's like, right, so I've set things up. That's great. So he's downstairs waiting and uh, he comes downstairs and instantly me and you know what's happened but Dorf doesn't know once again the beauty of the jumping timelines is we know what the outcome is uh, we're just going to see how this plays out and like he's just walking along with a bit of paper in his hand lobs it in the bin uh, Dorf does not pick up on this um, yeah no, really doesn't distracted. <laughs> doesn't get it until he's got a box yeah he's, he's like walking around his desk moving things around and he's like yep so you've done all the rest that's good and you know I've, I've solved things out for you and we'll just get back to it me and you back on the street solving cases cracking heads shooting guns at rats can't wait it's going to be like the good old days partner everything's coming up ACs everything's coming up Dorf and uh, meanwhile you know he's, he, he lifts the box and he's like what are you doing? And he's like that. You know, I, I could sign that. I could happily sign that. I could sign that and say, you know, that I did wrong. The last thing I'm going to do, though, is sign something to say that she lied. Because she didn't lie. And, you know, I, I made the mistake here. It was me. And we remember that mistake where he was standing at the sink just going, well, let's fucking burn them all down. And she said at the time, are you sure? Yeah. You know, and he's like that. He's like, yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's do it. And this is a consequence of his rash decision. He made a rash decision and it's it's now coming back. And he can live with the fact that he fucked up. But he is not going to throw this woman under his weird principles are not going to throw this woman down down, you know, the, the, the tube here over something that he he told her to write. He gave her permission to write it and to call her a liar is weirdly not the ethical thing to do in this situation. Well, and I, I would, yes, I think all of that is true. And also I think he's got, you know, a bee in his bonnet about the fact that they want it closed to begin with, you know, mm-hmm. that he's just like, not only is this true, I hope it stirs some shit up. Yeah, he's, he, it really is. I think they don't quite, under, I think Dorf underestimates how aggrieved he is by the way the case has been handled. It's just not right. And he knows it's not right. And, Dolph knows it's not right, but everyone's just happy to let things go and the they can pin it and the, the team can move on. And he's just, that doesn't sit right with him at all. And it's never going to sit right with him. And, you know, that like Dorf's like that, come up, swallow your pride, you know, go back up there and sign it. All will be forgiven. We can get back to, because you're not just walking away from from this but you're walking away from us and you know you're, you're my partner you're my friend and all the rest and that that has to mean something as well and what i love what i love about this fucking show is we get we get we get a a, a kind of retelling of a conversation we saw a couple of episodes ago where like remember when we were, they were out in the porch and um West had said to him, Listen, man, if you want to have a drink, if you want to watch a game, I'm here for you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And Hayes is walking at the door saying, what do you mean? We're like, we might not be partners anymore. We'll still see each other. If you want to grab a beer, if you want to watch a game, we can do that. And I, I watched that and I was just going, God damn, you Nick Pizzolatto. What are you doing to me here? Well, right. it's, I fucking love it. I absolutely love it. And they walk out and we know ball. Once again, like we see those characters, but we know that never happens. <laughs> we, we know that the next time these characters are going to see each other, it's when West is going to roll up in a bar on this guy and ask him if he wants to be back involved with this case 10 years later. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, because it does like, and when you flash forward to the 2015 stuff, it's kind of him taking a dig at him, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so, hmm, good shit. And, but after <laughs> the like, yeah, you know, we'll grab a beer, see a game. And like, we ain't going to see each other. So after that, there's a slow-mo shot of, like, Hayes leaving the station. Mm-hmm. And then we go into 2015, where they're bussed into the Hoyt estate. And like you said, it's a real, like, Scooby-Doo scenario where they're, like, <laughs> you know, using uh, the bolt, cars. bolt cutters to break into the place. And Hayes <laughs> asks uh, Dorf, uh, like, what are we going to do if we get caught? And Dorf, on practicality, is like... <laughs> You know, we'll just tell them we're a couple of crazy old men. We don't know what we were doing. We're old and confused. Dorf on Dementia says, you know, if the catches, we'll just be like, I don't know. Who are you? Are you my grandson? Um, Right. (laughs) And uh, so as they're driving up, this is, you know, again, my horror antenna are always up. But seeing this house as they're, you know, uh, driving up the winding driveway to this big estate. And the music's real somber. I'm like, this is like a haunted house movie. It's not even somber. It's right out of a fucking horror movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, like, I instantly, when this happened, I was like, oh, what the fuck are they going to find? What are they going to find? It's going to be a dead body. It's going to, like, I'm I'm having all these visions in my head of, this this is the dark shit. That this is us getting to the dark shit. Remember, Bo? Remember the show? Remember the show likes to give us the dark shit? Right. We're about to head into the dark shit. Last time we had two cops um, kind of digging around a maze-like structure in season one, some bad shit happened. Someone got fucking stabbed and left for dead, and the other one got shot, right? I'm, I'm waiting for... This is this is the bit where one of these guys doesn't come out alive. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. Somebody, yeah, like... Junius Watts or whatever is going to be waiting for him and uh, and murder them both or the ghost of Harris James or some shit. And uh, I'll, you know, <laughs> I found this backpack in eternity. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. So uh, they, they find their way down to the basement where we see uh, this really nice one, like there's a bunch of this throughout this episode, but as they're passing by, there's a mirror, mm-hmm. uh, and we see the younger Hayes reflected in yeah. that mirror as the older Hayes goes by, and we have found the pink room, Duncan. Um, yeah, we've seen we've seen what it was that um, Tom Purcell saw as well, and it's this sketching of a castle on the wall, which made him go, "What the fuck." Right, Julie. Um, yeah. Before he became Scoot Mc No Breathe, and <laughs> Scoot Mc No Breathe, and <laughs> Scoot Mc No Pulse. We did this last. I know, week. I know, I know. I and I couldn't remember the No Pulse again. 
So uh, the <laughs> that th- there's the pink castle on the wall. There's uh, drawings drawings of um, Queen or uh, Queen Isabel and King Junius. Yeah, and there's a point where Dwarf gets real pissed off. Yeah, and they're hey Simon, what's wrong with you? And he's like. <laughs> I why did we let it go? Why did you let this go? Yeah. And uh, he he says, look, I had a family to think of back in those days. And Dorf gives him another little dig where he's like, yeah, it must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is pretty good. And Hayes looks over and sees himself sitting at a bar in 1990. Yeah. Where so this is, this is, um, this is a post-hoit yes. conversation. Yes. Where Amelia shows up, uh, basically to come get him, you know, and he's drinking at a table and it's like, Hey, last time I saw you, you were like, Hey, we're going to hammer all this out. I'm going to tell you everything. Then you get a phone call, take off with some dude. And now you're calling me to come pick you up. What the fuck is going on? And he's like, I can't tell you. And she's like, that's <laughs> bullshit. And yeah, she's like, she's like, um, she's like, I don't like, I saw you burn some clothes you got picked up. So if you've got a woman, right, I can take it. I can take it. I'm not going to be happy, but I can take it. Just let me know what happens. And we get some, like some of the dialogue here is, it's fucking phenomenal because he's basically says, listen, like we've shared a lot. I've shared a lot with you, but. I'm a police officer, which means I'm privy to some information that, you know, most people aren't privy with. And there's responsibility that comes with that, that, you know, the stuff that I hear maybe shouldn't be shared with anyone because no one should know certain aspects or have to live with what I know. And she's like, bullshit, we share everything. You tell me everything. That's that's the relationship. And then it dawns, like, kind of more on... He's although I think it's not less dawning, more that he's been thinking about this over a couple of drinks, uh, some drinks, if you know what I mean, Bo. I do. And he's like, yeah, he's like, listen, that's that's the thing, though. That's what that's what our relationship has always been on. Has been on, you know, this this weird almost kind of symbiotic transfer of information. I bimp theories off you, you bimp theories off me, but ultimately it's always been about this case. It's every, all our relationship has been bimped off this case. It all revolves around the death of a boy and a missing girl. Yeah. And that's 10 years now. And you know, our kids, like, like you had a baby and we're, we're 10 years on from that. Now our, ki- our kids are growing up and I don't want it to be, another 10 years and they're out of the house and all the rest. And, you know, we're still in a relationship which is built on this tragedy. It's a, a, it's a, a weird tragedy foundation that they've built this life and it's no life for them. And so what I'm saying to you is maybe I don't tell you, and maybe we just, maybe we just, you know, maybe just draw a line under it and try and do something else. And, I love this because as soon as he like finishes saying that, the first thing Amelia says is, I "Think I'm going to need that drink." Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it a couple of things I really like about this. 
Mm-hmm. One, uh, I, I do love the line about the, you know, our whole relationship has been tied up in a dead boy and a missing girl. And when he mm-hmm. says, it ain't ours to carry. Yeah. Uh, and which is this, like, that's true. It is not like that. That's the problem posed by the character of, of Wayne Hayes is, is that he is someone who cares so passionately about his job that he can't ever put it down. He is forever yeah. going to be on the hunt. Yeah. But- and I, was, what I love about this as well is that basically like, <laughs> like Amelia says to him, you know, yeah, I know you care so passionately, about, but I, I don't understand why you care so passionately about the job, you know, like, and why you cared as long about it. You could have, you could have done anything you want. You could have been great at anything you put your mind to. Um, that I just don't understand why you stick with this, this job that you know will will constantly, like, upset you, bring you down, and and make you focus on how things don't work and make you obsessed than do something else with your life. And I, what I love about this is like, he's kind of turns it back on her as well and says, right, I understand that, but you want to write books, but you write books. You don't have to write books about these tragedies. You don't have to do this stuff either. You could be off writing anything. And he says, oh, this fucking girl, you can write books. I'm, you know, I'm probably not going to read them. Right, because <laughs> I don't read the other one, but but you can do it. I'm sure they'll be beautiful. I mean, I'll never read them, but yeah, it's it's this really sweet moment between the two of them where you understand that yes, there was this thing that their relationship was sort of built on on this tragedy, but there is something there. It's not it's not just that. It's yeah. just that it's it's coexisted with it, and um. Oh, it's a great. There's a great scene here where, like, she she basically says, "Look, you know, all this time we've t- been together, I don't think we ever actually, we ever actually got to know much about either of us, right?" And and he's just like, "Well, you know, like, all these different things," and she's like, "Well, like how you joined the army, like that story about how you joined the army and all the rest." And then he leads off with something. She's like, "Now that's not the story. That may be the story you tell everyone else, but that's not the story you told me." And this is like, oh, like fucking talk about trying to tug on the heartstrings for the first of many times in this episode. She retells him the real story about how he joined the army because he came from such a poor family that he's joined the army because if he died or when he died in Vietnam, because it was a war, I don't know if you know this, but it's a war where many Americans died. I was like, aware of that, yeah. Quickly. Um, but if he died, uh, the army would pay £10,000 to his mother, so at least his mother would be well off. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, I mean, that's that's really sad and, and it's tragic, but also there there is that sense of sacrifice still in the act and um yeah and and it it's really lovely and there when uh she's like well why don't you quit i you know i thought you should quit for 10 years now and you know mm-hmm. and he does well why don't you quit and they're like well how about we both quit and then uh she says well what are you going to do and he says well i don't i don't know what i'll do but, and this is the line that got me, Duncan, Yeah, is when he says, well, but the smartest person I know told me I'd be good at just about anything. Yeah. And it's like, oh, 
Oh, they love each other, Duncan. Oh, man. I, but it was wonderful. It was like, it was the scene that also was kind of the moment where I was like, man, I think, I think this last episode is just a different animal. Yeah. You know? this, I, I'm, I'm with you on this one. Like, there's 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 not a couple of scenes which definitely solidify that coming up, but at this point I was like, we we are we are doing a lot, we're doing a lot here with these, you know, with this relationship because we've seen just ahead of this and we've seen them happy in their new life, given the context change between originally we went into watching that scene thinking look at what that horrible white man has done that's made them drop their dreams and then we see it through the prism of this and like that that's not their dreams at all their dreams are actually a life where they they're not obsessed with this missing girl and the death of a boy yeah um and, and you know the, the show's been on what at this point about 20 minutes and i'm like holy fucking shit this is the this is the the the, the the, the dinner table stacked up with plates and your best crystal and the tablecloth has been pulled away and nothing's broke. Like you've literally whipped uh, like a, a whole understanding of what should happen away from this. And now I'm starting to see something completely different um, in the context of what the show set out. It's, it's, it's so well done and it's so seamless. And um, for, for this sort of kind of attention shift, of well, no, you thought it was there, but it's here. So I think you would expect some degree of kind of viewer whiplash, and you don't get it here. It's just like, ah, oh, right, maybe this is, maybe this is different. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this is different. And the show just continue. What I love about it is the show just continues to do that almost in every scene from this point onwards. It's just like ah. No, it isn't that. And then you keep leaning back to watch True Detective and it's Nick Pisolato, so where's the gun? <laughs> Who's going to die? And it's like, oh, well, no, it's not that. Yeah. And I, 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 I can't speak highly enough of this episode. I've been thinking about it since I watched it yesterday, um, pretty much nonstop. And um, this is one of those scenes where I just thought, that this is the strength of this show. The strength of this show is the relationship here. It's the thing that we've not been focusing on. We have, but we haven't been focusing on it with to the degree that we should have been, and now it's all I want to see. Yeah, yeah, I, I, a hundred percent agree. But before we get all lovey dovey, Duncan, any anymore, it's time to get to some fighting. Our man Dorf, uh, is in the same. This is the nineteen ninety timeline. Still, it's kind of a parallel scene with. Uh, in fact, uh, this scene is intercut with the one of. Uh, Hayes and Amelia like yeah, making this, up and the, yeah, this is this is a couple setting their future out together and all the wonderful things that will happen juxtaposed against Dorf and disorderly uh, as he walks in as he walks into a bar and this scene is fucking amazing. It is yeah, it is my favorite scene just because of how audacious it is. <laughs> He's just he he like. He's just, and you know what, Bo? Like, as much of a prick as he is here, I have the same thoughts going through my head all the fucking time. It's it's the so he goes into just a biker bar. Yeah, a and, place that a guy like him shouldn't be in because when he walks in the door, 
like it's like an old westy scene like when he walks the door the piano stops playing and everyone turns around to look at the stranger right and most of the women are are taller than him in this room i didn't realize he was like is he that short yeah yeah he's a little guy (laughs) so um so he he takes a seat next to uh like a bald biker and and the biker's old lady Mm-hmm. on the other side of the biker and is just staring at the back of the dude's head until the biker turns around and is like, someone help you with man. And he's like, you know, I'm just a fan of romance because you'd have to be in love <laughs> to be fucking that. A lesson Duncan and Bo have said many times that you should be fucking, but in this particular question, we're just saying that sometimes you need to be thinking about what you're fucking. Every now and again, you just take a breath, think about it, just be like, look, I've been doing a lot of fucking. Who or what have I been doing all that fucking to and with? (laughs) And just give yourself a check. Make sure you're still good with it. If you are, get back in there. Get the fucking. <laughs> and then the guy's like, "What did you say, little man?" <laughs> yeah, and then like I can't do it justice. It, it'll be in the upfront on this show, I promise you, to intro the the episode. But he lays down one of those like one of those things that is built to infuriate. Oh, right, say something like, like you know, like what you know, like when you walk around the streets and you see those really stupid pig nosed fucking inbred motherfuckers, and you kind of wonder, like. Where did these who who is producing this? And then I sit down and I have my beer and I look across and I see you stay. and I'm like that old oh, damn right. snap. And then the biker proceeds to take a swing at at Dorf and Dorf on the fucking raid or something. <laughs> like like Dorf with a bullet in his leg kick some serious fucking ass. I mean, he puts down about what, eight, nine of them? Ten yeah, of them? It's, it's fucking crazy, man. Like, he ducks the first punch and just, like, delivers two, three quick jabs to this dude's gut, then dodges another punch and then kicks him in the balls and the two guys <laughs> grab him and he beats those guys up. And it's, like, it literally takes a pile of bikers to stop door finally. Yeah. And then we pick up later after they have beaten the shit out of him finally and tossed him out into the bar, uh, into the parking lot. But I got to tell you, here's my favorite thing about this is he's leaning against a tree in the parking lot or nearby the parking lot of this bar drinking Jack Daniels from the bottle from the bar which you yep. can tell because the pour is still on the top yeah, of it. It still, it still has the optic on top of it. Which, yeah. And he's just drinking it. In. <laughs> it's the best. And so because I'm already weepy and emotional, keep in mind, like the scene post fight takes place immediately after the, well, the smartest person I ever knew said I could do just about anything. And I'm like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> Then Dorf is out here drinking under a tree at night and this mangy dog comes up and I'm like, oh shit, I know where this is headed. <laughs> and Dorf, Dorf on, you know, emotional distance is yep. like, 
Go on, get out of here, dog. <laughs> he's like, he's like, get away, Harry. We don't want you around here. <laughs> yeah, it is totally. Get out of here, Harry. We don't want you here anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> and Dorf on emotions. Uh. It is like the dog, of course, after uh, he gives him the, get out of here, Harry. Uh, the dog just comes up to him and basically hugs him. Mm-hmm. And then Dorf cry hugs the dog is how I put it to you. Mm-hmm. Where he just loses his shit, starts sobbing and hugs this animal. And it's this moment. It's One, it's of course emotional because it's a man crying, hugging a dog. And that's yeah. not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, also, coming on the heels of the scene before, like tears are rolling, Duncan. But uh, the the greater part of it, the the thing that I like about this episode is you have these moments that like reveal, illuminate why the character became the character they became, and yeah. and this is that moment of like at his lowest when like Hayes had left him after genuinely fighting for the guy. Um, you know, get him back on major cases and then getting fucked for his efforts again. Um, has nobody goes into this bar, gets the shit kicked out of him, and has this like a miracle moment with a stray dog and just becomes an angel, Duncan, a fucking yeah. angel to stray dogs <laughs> everywhere. Because once again, we've seen we've seen the after effect of this. This is a guy that basically will, from this point onwards, care for stray dogs. That's, Not just that's... stray dogs, stray people. I mean, that's what happened to yeah. Scooter Mc. No, yeah, he's, he's always he's always had that that level about him. So I, yeah, it's it's a fucking great scene in an episode littered with great scenes as uh, this is the embarrassment of riches that you keep talking about by the way <laughs> yeah it's all yeah. in this episode yeah oh man it is just i like even in my notes i wrote fuck you true detective just because i'm crying <laughs> at this point like i had to take a break and just be like let me take a minute um mm-hmm. uh because i'm a child apparently <laughs> uh so then we go to 2015 where there's a nice shot Th- this is one of those uh fancy director shots I like in this episode where Mm -hmm. it's Hayes and Dorf in the car in 2015. But as the camera moves around and we see like the reflections in the rear mirror and the side mirrors, and even as it sweeps around and there's like a break in the vision of, uh, uh, like as it moves around the, the front windshield and stuff like that, you see all of these characters in different times. You see the 1980 version, the 1990 version, all that stuff. It's like time has gotten all timey wimey to use a Doctor Whoism, Duncan. And uh and and that we are seeing all of the the confluence of the investigation, if you will, from nineteen eighty, ninety, and twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. And then it's a cool it, it's just a cool shot. And then that we we have tracked down Junius Watts, who yeah. <laughs> is now just an old man raising chickens. Not only that, though, when we pull up, we notice what kind of car he's driving, Bo. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the car that has been outside Hayes' house uh, that they, you know, ran a fast one on in the last episode. Mm-hmm. And so, chicken raising Junius Watts 
uh, turns around to see Dorf and Hayes standing behind him, guns in hand. Just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not how you want to be greeted in your backyard. And he just says, well, I've been waiting for you since I drove off the other night. And he goes, mm-hmm. you guys going to kill me? And they're like, how about you just get inside? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, shit. Um, then we have a quick flashback to 1990 where Hayes has gone to work at public infam- uh, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, 1980 where Hayes has gone to work for public information. And the whole thing is filmed like that Nike commercial from the 80s that was all about 1984 and shit. It's just a row of desks <laughs> and women like, you know, hello, what do you need? Connecting to Pittsburgh 427. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of shit. And he's just like, ugh. It's Kafka esque, Duncan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, anyway, so then we cut forward uh, back to 2015. And it's Watts just telling the story, most of which we knew. In Um, fact, he tells us nothing here that you didn't already know. Well, there's some filling in the details. Yeah, but the the template was already there. And to be honest with you, the template's been there for two episodes. And I think this was the second big kind of marker in the sand where I was like that. Yeah, this isn't that this show isn't about what I thought this show was about. If you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it is, but that what I've been concerned with is just the backdrop to the real story. What he fills in here is like in terms of right, so that we're breaking down we mean you were spot the fuck on Bo, right? So in the past Hoyt has, you know, well, we find out that he worked originally when Hoyt was small time. He got injured with, you know, a chicken in his eye, which killed his eye. Uh, Hoyt became bigger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right to the eye. <laughs> chicken, chicken to the eye, the worst, worst of all fucking industrial. Oh, industrial fucking what happened? <laughs> oh, I took a chicken right in the... They're everywhere. <laughs> I used to be an adventurer like you, and then I took Took a chicken to the eye. Um, Quick, hit hit the chicken attack alarm. It's bad at the Hoy plant today. I constantly think of fucking. Uh, I can't know what the hot shots part do. When it's just. Yes. I like doing that every now and again, just sometimes in the comfort of my own home, just let out a good old fashioned. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna shelf that under information that we didn't need to know, but now we are super curious of, but don't want to pick at that scab. Don't pick at it, ladies and gents. Um, <laughs> so he was eventually when Hoyt became bigger, he was brought in to kind of run the house. His daughter had uh, a husband and a daughter uh, who died when they were coming back to see her. Uh, they went off a cliff. And she spiraled at this horrible depression, horrible depression. And um, then she uh, befriends the fucking, the Purcell kids. Well, uh, she when, she sees them at a company picnic and gets yes. obsessed with Julie Purcell. 
Yeah, because she reminds her of her daughter. And so what they start doing is they start arranging kind of play dates out. And this is when she was referring to her auntie, to the priest. This is what this was. So um, they start kind of, you know, hanging around and all the rest. And at this point, Isabel kind of gets a little bit cray-cray. And she has her accident, which Harris James then covers up. We kind of guessed that, though. Um, uh-huh. And at that point, he kind of gets brought into the fold, uh, working for the family. And we have this thing where she decides that they're, she's only interested in the daughter, so she's going to maybe buy the daughter off the mum. Yeah, well, yeah. They're she, against it, to be she, honest, but no. She's kind of renting with an option to buy. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, so they arrange to meet her, the, the, the kids, one one time. Everything's going as it usually does. And at that point, Isabel decides that she's going to snatch the girl, take her off. The the boy, obviously the girl's upset by this. The boy tries to make a move on that. She fucking, this is Spartism, right into a rock. Um, and, you know, he dies... Uh, Mr. G- what's it? Mr. Pussy Watts. Junius, Mr. Watts, Mr. June. Mr. June. Um he he's the one that puts the body in the religious pose. Um and yeah, they take this girl away. And what what becomes like what becomes obvious really, really quick is the the level of what happens after this. So um the the cop that's on the take plants the evidence. We already knew that this is stuff that Hayes and and West had guessed for for a while. So he uh, put the stuff there to try and get the case to close. We can only assume, and I think you're right, that the Hoyt family put a bit of pressure down here on the the would be AG to to make this disappear. Although nothing's mentioned about this, we're just working on what makes sense to facilitate that part of the story, um, and. He he basically says what says that things start to calm down, and you know she kind of after a, a very little time acclimates to her surroundings and life's kind of good for a while. Right. You know they, they they all live in this house and everything's kind of nice. And I'll let you take over here. He kind of stresses like I thought she was happy. Yeah. And and so we also discover that uh, the Isabel who was on lithium mm-hmm. because of all her depression and whatnot um, was actually had stopped taking the medication was giving the lithium to uh, the little girl and which is why she was cool with everything was she was out of her gourd on lithium and and that's why you know she had such a problem understanding who she was and. You know, because while she's being given what can only be imagined to be an adult dose of lithium every day, she has someone telling her about all these, you know, uh, telling her a story of who she is that isn't true and and causing all these conflicts and blah, blah, blah. And so when the girl becomes uh, 16 and wants to get out, then Junius Watts decides you know, Hey, I can, I can help her. And so what I'll do is I'm going to make sure she can get out and then draw her a map to my place. And then when she gets to my place, I can get her set up somewhere or something. Yeah. 
And then we get, uh, you know, this weird flash forward to the fate, ultimately, of Julie Purcell. Sort of the idea of what this whole show has been about. Yeah. And Um, we are 30 minutes from the end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a while before we're going to reach our conclusion. And yet, Duncan, we get the story of, you know, because they say, did you ever find her? And he says, yeah, I finally tracked her down in 1997 yeah so while he's telling this while he's narrating this we see Hayes and west undertake the same journey that um watts took exactly and so they go to a convent where ultimately julie purcell uh found herself um that the sisters there who they they ultimately interview um, helped her get straight, get get clean, that she was suffering from dissociative disorder, which certainly makes sense, and that she got her shit together ultimately. And then, you know, the way that the the uh, nun describes it is like she, she found a home here, and she came here needing help, and by the time she was done, she was helping other people again. Um, mm-hmm. Or not again, but just helping other people. And that because of her life before had been, you know, a a little out there and a little dangerous, uh, she had contracted HIV and died and is buried in a cemetery uh, that is, is, you know, kind of maintained by the the convent, you know, was uh, buried as one of their own. And, and that's it. And he, you know, at the end of that, we, we go back to, uh, the home of Junius Watts and they start to get up. They're just like, all right, you know, I guess we know the story now. And, um, Watts is like, well, aren't you going to take me in? And they're like, no. And yeah, I I love this. Oh, I love it. So he's like that. He's like, yeah. So now I've got this off my, off my shoulders now. I need to be arrested or you need to you need to rot vengeance you need to kill me you need to kill me or arrest me because that's that's I, I, and he says the words he's like that I can't live with this on my conscience anymore right. this man is a broken fucking man he's been waiting for vengeance he's been waiting for vengeance to come through that door he's been waiting for justice to beat them the door of this fucking shack home on a chicken farm that he lives on for for the best part of what 30 years uh 30 plus years and that's he's been waiting for it and uh, does he get it Bo? no he does not he he <laughs> says like you know uh he, dorf in fact dorf on one-liners in this episode uh says uh you know you uh, you don't want to live with this. And he looks over at this guy's gun cabinet and he says, then fucking don't. Yeah. And it's classic Dorf Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> and then they leave with Watts screaming out the, the back. Like I, you know, I need you to punish me. Yeah. And, and that's one of those like existentialist horrors that it is both, it is both liberating and terrifying that we are not punished for our, our bad deeds. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's, you know, the, the trouble that, that Watts finds himself in, he, he had been waiting for the day when, 
you know, somebody came to, to make him pay for his actions. And at the end of the day, it's just like, no, you're not being punished for this. You're, it's just, it just happened. You know, what do you do? Um, you know, there's no one left to punish. Um, at any rate. So at the grave of, uh, Sister Mary, July. Mm-hmm. Um, both men, old men at this point, of course, um, apologize. And, and you know, uh, Dorf says, uh, I'm awful sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you're dead. I was going to say, I hear in Russia, bro. Yeah. They bury you upside down. Just in case you're a vampire, you understand. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's true. Um, and so uh, then a guy who looks suspiciously like Scooter McGravy is uh, doing lawn work. And uh, is, is is there's a little girl that uh, Hay sees and is like, hey, that looks like that little girl we've been doing a whole show about. And, uh, he, it turns out that the little girl is the, uh, the daughter of this guy, um, Michael, some or other. And, um, he, his father ran a landscaping company and would always volunteer, uh, their time and efforts to clean up this graveyard. And he has carried on that tradition from his father. And mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, that's awful nice. Uh, probably won't have nothing to do with the rest of the show, but nice seeing you. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about how playful Nick Pizzolatto is, like, for, uh, upon the reveal of this at the end, is just fucking genius. It's like actually genius. This is this is the inverse. This is the alternate dimension version of season one in all the best possible ways. Yeah. Well, right. Yes, we will. We will get to it here in a second. Yeah. We are closing in, sir. Um. So then. And another delightful move in this episode where nothing dark happens and only good things uh, are allowed to exist. Only good things, Bo. Hayes is packing up uh, shit at home from his study, like getting all the book, Amelia's books and notes and that kind of thing. Uh, starting to pack it all up. Like, they've solved the crime. It's it's done. And um, Dorf is like, you know, I was talking to Jerkface. And uh, he said... Well, you know, maybe you could use some company every now and again. And I've been thinking about moving closer to town. And what do you think I crash here a little bit? And I was like, ooh, Duncan, they're <laughs> going to be roommates. <laughs> it's a whole new show. <laughs> Are they the old couple? <laughs> yeah, they might as well be. Because like, even uh, uh, Hayes is like, you know, I keep, I keep a clean place. And Dorf is like, you know, well, I'm a little like Oscar uh, Unger. Or no, that's Felix Unger. Oscar, whatever. I'm a little like Oscar. That's the point. William, William Rooker. Uh, I'm William Rooker. William Unger. The roommate to Felix Unger. Um, and so, like, this is the point where it's like, I don't know if I'm being set up for something terrible. Because well, yeah, is, they I'm hug. All the way through this, I'm all the way through this thinking this. I'm thinking right now that he's got to the end of this case, he's going to shoot himself. Right. That's what I'm expecting to come. And like, cause at this point, uh, Dorf on, uh, 
you know, paternal love is like, hey, uh, or fraternal love, rather. It, like, they hug each other, and it's like, hey, man, I'm going to see you tomorrow. And uh, and he's like, oh, that's right, Rebecca's coming tomorrow. And, and Dorf is like, she is. That's right, she is coming tomorrow. And I'm like, Pizzolatto, you son of a bitch. If yeah. she turns out to be dead or something, and this is all a big scam, or like, whatever. Like, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. Because this is true detective. And it turns out that there's no shoe. It's just people. Because now uh we we flash back to nineteen eighty and it's uh an argument, of course, where Hayes has not uh, there's some raw shit in this where Hayes has not talked to her since he got thrown to uh, public information mm -hmm. and she has shown up at his door to demand to know what the fuck is going on and he's like well there's a box of your shit and she's like is that the way you break up with people is that the way you're telling me that you don't you don't think we should see each other anymore is you just box up my stuff and <laughs> which is it turns out exactly uh yep, what's going on it's basically the 1980s version of a text breakup. <laughs> yeah, he's ghosting her with a cardboard box. <laughs> and um, he, she notices that he's been drinking, and there's a great line where she's like, oh, you're a mean drunk. Like, uh, like it's a thing she is discovering about him, you know? Yeah. And so they start arguing um, where he's like, you know, I got all been up around in my head and I never should have done this. And I can't believe that you were, he doesn't say that she was lying to him. It's just that she was leading him on that. She, he, he calls her like, you're like a bird that just goes around shitting on everybody below. Uh, you. I don't fucking, need that. Yeah. I don't, I don't need a, a, a head shitting bird. Yeah. <laughs> she says, I'm like, Oh shit. And <laughs> calls her a high yellow bitch at one point, yeah. which oh, is, and um, then uh, she's like, all right, uh, I guess I'll be going now. And she goes through the box. She like takes like two things and then goes, I don't need the rest of this. And then just walks out. It's like, fuck. Like, I know that he. it seemed like he was winning that fight, but she just won that fight. Mm -hmm. It was pretty raw. I love it. I, I, I am surprised at how much I enjoyed the argument scenes in this season because they just felt so genuine, you know, like they, they were raw at times, but maybe that's what made them genuine. I like mm -hmm. it. Um, <clears throat> maybe I just like to see people fighting. So <laughs> we go, we go back to 2015 where now Hayes wakes up and half the bed is, is empty. Uh, because Amelia's fucking dead, Duncan. I don't know if you knew that. And, mm -hmm. um, but Amelia then comes to him and the basically ghost of Nick Pizzolatto visits this episode where, he, uh, she basically paints a scenario where, Hey, you know, you remember that dude, Mike, uh, from my book where, you know, there's a whole passage about this little kid. He was the kid that thought he was going to grow up and he was going to marry Julie Purcell and blah, blah, blah. And Hayes was reading that. And Amelia is like, 
um, hey, what if there's a situation where the guy who uh, grew up from that little boy took over a landscaping company and mm-hmm. then he starts seeing this new nun at the convent. And even though he doesn't quite know who she is, there's something about her that he knows and she feels the same way. And then maybe they start to remember together and then maybe the nuns do the only thing they can do to really help this girl, which is to tell a story, which is that she has died and that in reality she hasn't died. She has just found finally her prince. And yeah. He has taken her away. And now if anyone ever comes looking for her, they have a grave to point to and a story to tell. And Julie Purcell will never be bothered again. And, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, she says, isn't that a story worth telling? Isn't that a story worth hearing? Yeah. And it, it is such a, again, a fucking pizzolato thing of like, Hey, you, we're all in on this, right? Isn't this, this is the thing that you think is going to be the satisfying end to this story. Yeah. The, 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 the full, the full line. And it's maybe one of my favorite lines ever on a TV show is what if there's another story? What if something went unbroken all this life, all this loss, what if it was one really long story that kept going and going until it healed itself? Wouldn't that be a story worth telling? Wouldn't that be a story worth healing? I'm like, oh my God. Yes. Yes, it would be. Yes, it would be Nick Pizzolatto. Yes. Yeah. That is a beautiful line. It's just so fucking well written. That's poetry. That's poetry. Yeah. Oh, so nice, and time is the fire that we burn in. Yeah, um, and it's, it's this idea. It's this, but once again, once again, like Nick Pizzolatto is doing this, and I am the, the I'm the, the the battered spouse that is is like right now. You're playing with me here, Nick. You're playing with the emotions. You're you're, you're toying with me. There can be no twist or death now, right? There right. Can be no twist and no. De- no twist, no death. Right? Yeah, don't don't fuck this up for me. <laughs> and so this is this is what happens when you fuck another man in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking do it. Um. Yeah. And I like and and it comes so close, man. It skates right to the line because. All right. So now that Hayes has this in his head, he get he calls public information probably and gets the address of Mike Ardoin Ardwan. And uh, it takes off. He's going to go. He he finds the house. And he's going to go see if this kind of crazy idea could possibly be true. And then he gets there. He sees uh, a woman and her little girl come out of the house. And then he has one of his episodes. And he suddenly doesn't remember why he's there or where he is. And so he calls jerk face on the phone and it's like, Hey jerk face, I had a thing. And I don't know where I am. And, uh, he find he, he, he jerk face is like, go find anybody that you can and ask them where you are. 
And so he gets out of the car and he goes, he goes to this poor woman who immediately looks really upset that he's there. And then he says, you know, look, I got this condition and I don't know where I am. Can you just tell me where I am? I'm so sorry. And she's like, yeah. And she kind of gives him the address and all that stuff. And he tells his son and he starts to go back to the car and she's like, would you like a glass of water or something while you wait uh, for your son? And he, uh, he says yes. And she sends the little girl in and there are all these little moments where it seems like she might know who he is. And there are all these looks that she gives him. And even when she like sends the, uh, her, the daughter to go in for water, it, I was like, uh, I wonder if she's going to say something to him, you know? And I had the, the dialogue in my head, Duncan, of like, she's going to tell him, I know who you are. And even if you don't know who I am right now, I just want to say I'm okay. Something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, but that never happens. They eventually, uh, he's just like, I'm going to go wait by the car and, and they go about their business. They spend a little time talking about like, Oh, there's look, you've been working in your garden and this is really nice. You got a nice home here and that kind of thing. And then, uh, he, there's one moment. There's what, this is the inception moment. Yeah. This is the, does the, does the top stop spinning? And th- this show does not. This show does not address it at all, and it, I, I kind of love the way it doesn't because he's walking away, and then he gets a hint of something, a vague memory of something. This inclination that he's there for a purpose. This 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 idea. This kind of this silhouette. This outline of something that he thinks, and he turns back and looks at her. And she looks at him and the exchanges glance for, it's like maybe two, three seconds. Yeah. And it's very difficult to read on his face whether he has remembered or whether he thinks he might remember something but doesn't quite put it together. And then he turns around and walks to meet his son. And you're like, oh, no. (laughs) I know. I know. But and, then the show, but the show's not about that. This right. is the thing that, like, by the time you get to the end date, you're like that. It does doesn't matter, Bo. Well, but doesn't matter. It 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 matters in the sense that this is, I think, sort of Pizzolatto saying, if this is what you came for, if if you came just for this narrative, then then this is the ending that you wanted, perhaps. You know, maybe it's even a little happier than than what you expected. And, you know, that that's the story worth hearing and the story worth telling. Yeah. But also, w- the scene we come to is really the point, mm-hmm. which is... So, all right, so Jerkface then shows up and and gives his dad a big hug and Rebecca's there, the the daughter, and it's like, oh, she's not dead. <laughs> Fuck it. What is going yeah. on in this episode? Um, and... She is driving him home behind uh, her brother. And uh, he's just like, I'm, you know, I, I, I miss you so much. And um, she says, Rebecca says, you know, th- this whole town has changed so much since the last time I was here. And it feels different now. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, maybe you can stay a little longer this time. And she says, maybe I can. 
and uh, when he says he, that he's missed her, and and she says, "I miss you even now." And so you get the idea that the reason that she was staying away wasn't because he asks her, did I do something to lose you? Yeah. And she's like, no, 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 no. And so this thing, again, because we've been looking for conspiracies everywhere, we didn't look at the one option that is the emotional one, which is the reason that she was staying away is it's hard to deal with a parent that is going through something like this. It's hard to see somebody deteriorate and that's why she stayed away. Yeah. And (laughs) it's like, Oh, Oh, Nick Pizzolatto. I see what you're doing here. And plus it's it's the idea as well of when he's fixated on that case, when he's not with his family, when he doesn't give himself into the ones that love him around him, he's not a complete man. He's not a happy man. You know what I mean? Like when he when he when he's obsessing about this case, it happened before, it happened, we saw the after effect in the nineties. He had some good years, but the the years that weren't good were the years where he was obsessed with resolving a case which was never gonna neatly bundle itself up into this nice neat bow that he was gonna be able to live with and and the you know he's he's come so far and his his memory started ailing him to the point that he thinks he needs to finish this. He thinks that this is unfinished business that he needs to tie up. This is you know this is the 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 part of the story that was unresolved, and he has forgotten the very conversation that he and Amelia had about this. No, this is the this is the bad thing. This is this is what is this is what strained it. Yeah, it brought us together and it gave us our family, but it's given us nothing but hardship and misery. And it it you know th- whenever he focuses down on that, whenever he, he doubles it down into that being important in his life and forsakes the love of his family, what is right there under his nose the idea of being a good dad or a good granddad or whatever it is, um, you know, he's not he's, he's he's not a whole person. He's not a happy person. And I love this idea of he, he damn near comes the closest he's ever been to resolving this case. And whether he does forget or whether he choose to, chooses to let it go, the idea of him doing that allows him the opportunity to reconcile with the daughter, who I'm with you 100%. This idea of her staying away because it's hard to watch a, a parent deteriorate. Um, but when he leans back into that, maybe he can have that kind of fulfillment that he feels he's been missing. And he's only felt like he's missing that because he's lost Amelia and he's losing his, his memory. And this has become important to him because he feels that this will, this kind of justifies the all the all the pain. This justifies the loss of memory. These are the things that are unfinished. I fucking love that idea, and that this is this is this is what True Detective does better than any TV show. Whether you like the second season or not, True Detective is not about the crime. It's never about the crime. It's the toll that the crime takes on the detectives that investigate it. In the case of this one, he's his hubris at thinking that he is the only one that can crack this case and he's so headstrong and he has the answers and all the rest, forsaking all 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 that's around him. 
all that's all that's there um and having those those years you can imagine those years running from what after 1990 let's say 92 93 settled down at his job amelia's back teaching to he send her off to college sending uh rebecca off to college and then maybe his memory starts to go a little bit after that amelia's gone by then so she's gone within 10 years and that you know so he has maybe 10 years of quality time with amelia and this scrambling to justify things to work back into the case I think that is a better story than the cliched a girl goes missing and there's a conspiracy and we need to solve the crime. That's the story I want to see. You know what I mean? And that's just, that's the story that this show's always been about. It's just it wasn't until the end we realised that's what it's all about and it puts a new shine in context over those three different timelines. The whole story we went through, we've, we've went from the birth of a relationship through... To you know the through all the ups, all the downs, and right to this point where he appears to be reconciling with his daughter, who might spend a bit of time there. He's reconciled with his you know his former partner, now going to be his best friend, and he's he's whether he whether he remembers the answer or not, it's not important as to what happens to Julie Purcell. That's not the important part of the story, um, and isn't that the ending? that's more interesting and isn't that the ending that we deserve to hear and i think that is fucking brilliant yeah yeah i agree and and duncan let's get to what kind of our last couple of scenes here yeah let's get to the the scenes that i i instantly started thinking if you fucking do a six feet under to me true detective I'm going to be unhappy because there's one more thing where I thought I, I genuinely thought Nick Pisolato is is bringing me down to give me one big shock, and I'll tell you exactly where I thought this big shock was going to happen. And I thought it was going to be Dorf, and I was getting ready to throw something at the TV and say, "You fucking ruined it." <laughs> but, <laughs> you ruined it, Pisolato. Yeah, well, but I think that's part and parcel of like where is the Nick Pisolato like twist of the knife. Yeah, you know, because that's kind of what I think when I think of his storytelling, it's always grim. And that's one of the things I like about it. And and I think what I like about this is that we're not where he proves that he's not married to just telling that story. And and so we go back to Jerkface's house and he tells uh, Hayes tells Jerkface uh, his son, by the way. Uh, for those of you who didn't know the shorthand on that one, um, uh, he ha- says like, Hey, I found this slip of paper, uh, in my pocket and it's the address that he was found at. And he was like, I don't know what this means, but I think it might be connected to something with the case. And, uh, and jerk face immediately just grabs it, crumples it up and tosses it. And it's like, you know what? How about you go outside and you play with your grandkids? Yeah. And, uh, that's exactly what Hayes then does. And we see him, you know, bounce a ball with his kids and Rebecca's there. And, and for like you, you were saying earlier about like the, he's, he's with his family in a way we've never really seen him before where he's just being playful, Yeah, you know? And meanwhile, jerk face looks at the address in the, uh, in the trash and picks it up and pockets it because, you know, it wouldn't be entirely, Nick Pizzolatto 
if he weren't like, well, and and so the story continues, you know. Yeah. Um, but the, oh man, so <laughs> we we go to the porch, yeah, where everyone is sitting around drinking iced tea. Like mm-hmm. Rebecca's there, and Jerkface, and his wife, and Hayes's grand uh, granddaughter, and then up drives Dorf on uh, little dogs uh, because he has brought one of his little dogs with him, of course, because mm-hmm. he's fucking Elton John apparently, and he's hold me closer, tiny Hayes. <laughs> See the kids on the bikes on the highway. Um, <laughs> so Hayes, uh, Hayes sees Dorf show up. It's like, hey, come on up here. And they give him some iced tea. And uh, he just like puts his hand on, on Hayes' shoulder. Yeah, and then... It, oh, both. And, and then he says, like, you know... Uh, there, there, there's something about, like, it, it's Amelia again. Uh, talking about like the end and the beginning and all that stuff. Yeah, well, when he puts his hand on his shoulder, though, we get the the camera then transitions through his eye, very fucking six feet under, by the way, Nick Pizzolo, I'm looking at you. And then I'm like that. He's going to remember something about Dorf. This is the twist. Sure. I don't know if you felt the same way. I'm like that. And being touched that way, we're going to find it some treachery that Dorf was in and all. Like something. And I genuinely, my heart dropped through my asshole. Like just like right out through my body. I was like, no, don't do this. And once again, Nick Pizzle, I was like, Duncan, I know you think that I'm going to, but I'm not going to. You're in safe hands, buddy. Yeah. Listen to here, baby. Listen to here, baby. <laughs> it's cool, baby. It's cool. <laughs> Dun- Duncan. Hey, hey, don't get up. Don't get up. Just sit down. You want something to drink? I'll bring you something to drink. It's cool. It's just a couple more minutes. Just relax, baby. I got you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I actually, what I thought, uh, I thought how he was going to fuck it up was because what happens is they see some kids riding by on bikes and both Dwarf and Hayes look, and that's where we swoop into Hayes's eye. And I was like, man, we're going to go back to the first scene or something. And it's going to be like, and it just starts over again, you know? Because we had just seen the thing with Jerkface pulling the um, the address out. Mm-hmm. So, anywho, uh, that's not what happens. What uh, does happen instead is that it's him going back to 1980 where Hayes is now drinking at the VA, you know, after having started doing his public information thing and having his big blowout with Amelia and Amelia shows up and he's like, this place is only for people who have served in uniform. I don't think you're allowed here. And she's (laughs) like, um, huh? So is this what you've decided to do with your life now? Is just come here and drink after work? And he's like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and this is this is in stark contrast to remember when Dorf got accused of maybe drinking a little bit, you know, <laughs> like and Dorf's like that, listen, I live my I live myself. You know, it's all the things that he's yeah, you know, I live myself, I'm alone, 
you know, I, I, I don't have I don't have my job that I had. I have nothing in my life, so I will drink whenever I goddamn want. You don't tell me when I can drink and when I can't drink. And we juxtapose that against Hayes' like, listen, I'm a broken man. <laughs> right. Right. And, and <laughs> it's, it's this back to, like, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh and and someone comes along to tell him to stop drinking um yeah it's it and it it's this nice moment where she kind of calls him on his shit where she's like you understand i don't let people talk to me the way you talk to me right Mm -hmm. and he's like yeah i understand that you don't seem like the kind of person that would tolerate that and she's like that's right i'm not and uh he and then he like officially apologizes and she's like well so what do you want to do next? They're like, do you want to date me? Do you not want to date me? He's just like, I don't know. And he's like, you know, I, I spent so much time coming back from the war, people telling me what to do. And I got used to it. I don't know. And he's like, the only thing I know is that I want to marry you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I keep coming back to. And she's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And he's like, well, I guess first thing I'm going to sober up. She's like, yeah, that's a good start. And yeah. He's like, and then I'm going to get down on my knee and everything. I'm going to do it right. And you know I mean what I say. And she's like, yeah, I know you do. And then they, they take each other's hand and they walk out. And then the last shot is like we, we kind of go into the darkness of the doorway and then we're in the jungle and it's Hayes alone in the jungle hunting. Yeah. Uh on on recon. And and it's the the thing that we understand about this character I think now is that these are the two people that he was. Yeah. He he is the, the he is forever on recon. He is forever hunting the bad guys. But the other part of him is this man that's desperately in love with the the woman of his dreams in a way. Mm-hmm. And and that is who she remains. And I remember on this very show, Duncan, you were bad-mouthing her about being all opportunistic and whatnot. And perhaps I, I thought, a little bit she was. I, um, I, think, I think she was... But, I think but at it, the start, she very much was. I think in the 90s where I was leaning heavily into that, when I was like, that. listen, she is, she is clearly using this guy. Um, I don't necessarily think I was wrong there. I just think that was the copacetic of their relationship at that point. You know what I mean? I think that's just, I think both of them were using each other. And I just, I, I think maybe I unfairly flung all the blame on her where it was clearly both of them. Right. <laughs> right. And clearly, clearly both of them. And they but they identify that in the in the nineties and then they move on from it. But this scene here is you could see why even even you could see why Hayes would would eat shit for ten years for that woman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would do that desk job and not quit and do the job that he hates just to fuck over his bosses and be miserable because of that woman. Yeah. I, I really love the fact that they seem to be in a relationship that, you know, sometimes to their detriment, they challenge each other constantly. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that 
leads to conflict, but also it's the reason I think that they, they end up staying together is that they realize like, Oh, we we are bigger than the problems that we have and bigger than this case as as a couple. We just need to figure out what we are outside of that. And it seems like what they were outside of that was actually a very happy couple that Mm -hmm. that was very much in love and, and stayed that way. And, and that's, again, like the big surprise, the big reveal of this episode is that, oh, nothing horrible happened to Hayes that like after 1990, he got his shit together and yeah, Amelia died and he's losing his memory, but that's life. That's not, you know, like nobody, nobody was continually molested and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, there's not, there even if you want to take the extreme view that Julie Purcell ended up dead in a grave outside this convent, that's yeah. still not the worst fate. Like, you know, she, we she have did. Seen, yeah, we have seen worse. And tr- that's the thing that I love about this. And season one of True Detective, the church was the villain. And this version of True Detective, the church covered up and let Julie Purcell have a life. Yeah. And not only that, in season one, the guy that's cutting the grass is the fucking killer. I didn't think and about this, that. Yeah. And in this season, he's redeemed the guy cutting the grass who's doing it on behalf of the church. He is he is playing so much. With I, he knows exactly the criticism that was levied. He's such a fucking clever, sorky guy, by the way. He knows exactly the criticism that was leveled against him on season two. So he gives you enough of the setup, enough of the the detail of season one, and then whilst he's dangling that in one hand in front of you, he's doing all this really cool, complicated relationship shit in the other hand, and that's the story. And that to me is the fucking genius of season three. And that is why I think time will out. I think season three is the best. I honestly do. I think when I get a second run at this, I'm just going to sit back. And I, I think it is so cleverly written that I'm in, I'm in awe of everything they did here. Like he, there is no neat bundle. There was neat bundles in season one and it was this big conspiracy and it went up to the chains of government. It doesn't even address that in this episode. It doesn't need to. He gave you all the hints that it might be, but he doesn't need to address it because that's not what the story is about. And then he gives you the, like, he, like what did we say when we saw the priest? We're like, well, he's a pedophile. Um, <laughs> right, right. What, what did we say when the when the organization, the outreach organization, what, well, they're funneling money and probably kidnapping kids. All this stuff in the show. When he showed us fucking Rust and Marty, and we're like, oh, pedoph- maybe pedophile ring. You know, like, he's given us all that stuff because that's what we crave as fans of season one. But what he's given us is a far more complicated, far more rich, and far more deep story, which is about the about this relationship and the effect and the toll of obsessing about misery brings on you. And I think it's just fucking. I think it's so good, man. I think it's. I think it's. The more I thought of it today, the more I've just been like, "That's how you. That's how you close out a TV show. Mike fucking drop." Yeah, yeah. I am still of a mind that season one has, like, there's something about the mystical nature of that that appeals to me, whereas this is much more, 
very intentionally a much more grounded story. And mm-hmm. that's not, that is not the fault of season three. That is just a matter of personal taste. So I would probably, I, I probably would still argue that I, I like season one more, but uh, there is no question that this is a great season. And and to your point, um, as soon as I wrapped it up, the first thought I had was, man, I should, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing this again sort of, you know, knowing what I know now and mm-hmm. seeing the way that Pizzolatto wove this thing together. Yeah. Remember, um, remember when we were talking about hints to Lovecraft? Yeah. 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 Didn't take, yeah. didn't take that anywhere either. It's it, like, it's all this kind of, this is what you expect from me. This is what you want from me. But that's, that's a story, but wouldn't this story be, but it's so clever. But yeah, I mean, and, and that's very much what he was doing throughout this whole season was just like, I'm going it, to, it, it's a Coen brothers move. It's the, it's the hat from, uh, uh, Miller's crossing, yes. you know, where they were like, when asked, uh, Hey, what, what was the hat symbolism about? They were just like, well, we knew people would get hung up on it yeah, and thought it was kind of funny. And that's totally what Pizzolatto is doing, which is great, which is great. You know, I, I like it when a creator is confident enough to be like, I'm going to, I'm just going to like, part of this is going to be this rich meta gag, mm-hmm. uh, for me and eventually viewers who understand what this was all about. So, um, I don't know, man, it was, it's a real strong ass season. Yeah. From start, from start to finish. I can't, like, we've talked about this. There was maybe one dodgy kind of scene of bodies but like I say like now thinking that Harris James is one of those guys in the background um, the what you left out in the woods is not what we thought what we left out in the woods was his old life yeah that's what she was warning him about like just like you know what you've what you've left out in those woods it was the, the life that he left behind to be happy and I just think I, I can't think I can't think of many things this season did wrong at all. <laughs> and it, it's given me, it's given me Stephen Dorff, who has been a pure joy from start, bad wig and all from start to finish. <laughs> yeah. He's I been, love the eighties wig is the best. It, he's been brilliant. And it's, yeah, it's been, it, this is powerhouse TV. I, I mean, I really do. I, I, I know it might sound like I am, going ott in it but i genuinely i was this finished and i was floored because i don't expect this from true detective this is this is like that you know maybe the lights winning marty maybe the lights winning that that's like imagine that one sentence has been spanned out over an hour and 20 minutes of this last episode and that's what he gave us yeah um and i i did not expect that coming in. I spent so long expecting the worst things to happen to all the characters in this, and it never happened. And I love the fact they don't show you Amelia's death because why do we need to dwell on that? It's yeah, I, I, I loved it. I loved it, and I know for a fact, one hundred percent, that when True Detective Season 4 comes along, it will be the bleakest TV show we have ever seen. He's got out his system. This is his John Carpenter Starman moment, and uh, <laughs> yeah, like everything we get from this point onwards is going to be a downward spiral. <laughs> I look like Scott. 
so you're not a <laughs> little bit jumpy. <laughs> it's so good it's so good man I, I i have i have genuinely loved this season um and uh, yeah what a revelation true detectives back and not only is it back it it needed that time it needed that time away nick pizzolato needed that time to go away and and kind of strip back to a story he wanted to do instead of trying to follow up season one, which was we've said it before, was was always going to be maybe the most impossible thing to do. He's instead went at it from a completely different angle, and and was was that phrase from season two? We get the world we deserve. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was like that was we get the world we deserve and the world is a horrible place and bad things will happen to you. Um and that's why you got that season. And I kinda like to think that this is the world we deserve. Um it's true detective season three that even even through all the horrible and gnarly bad shit that happened, um and all the pain and misery, there was light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's I think that's I think that's a sentiment that very few TV shows really really land well. I mean, this to me wasn't the cheesy Hollywood ending because it had proper substance, and it spent so much time, um, so much time giving us those three different those three different timelines were the most important thing it could give us because it gave us context and perception, and it gave us scenes after the fact, but no no detail up to the fact and then we've worked our way to them that all three of these timelines were strong like super super strong stories and i don't know any other show that does has done that i, I genuinely don't i think yeah i i can roll on season four and if it takes two years if it takes three years i will wait yeah yeah i as long as it takes if it comes back with with this kind of quality you know, take as little or as much time as you need, and and uh, in the meantime, all you have to do is just throw in the, you know, Dorfin Hayes ride along show. Just put him in a card. Let him say whatever. I don't care. Uh, then then that's fine to hold me over. Totally. Uh, so yeah. yeah. All right. So that uh, Duncan is gonna wrap us up for uh, this season of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Um, we've got, what's, uh, what's next on the hit list? We did the, the Coen brothers, the true detective, mm-hmm. uh, what, what's the next series that we're doing? I don't think we have one scheduled The Westworld would be our next logical one, but it's yeah. not coming back for a year. So I think realistically what we might do is we might just do a couple of commentaries in between and then see if something like if like if there's like another show like Sharp Objects or something that appears on the horizon, uh, or takes our interest, or appears on Netflix or something that we want to get our teeth stuck into, I think we come back to that. What I would be keen to do because we've we've joked about it quite a lot, and I think we just need to do it um, is is take a take a a midnight run if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I, I I was gonna say I think the next thing that you see in your feed from us will be. Duncan and Bo go on a midnight run. Yeah. Uh, cause that has been, uh, has been talked about too much. And, and listeners, if you have a suggestion for a short series, emphasis on short series that, uh, you want to hear us do, then, uh, then let us know and we'll, uh, 
we will definitely take a look at that because uh, like, obviously you just heard it. We don't, I don't know what the fuck we're going to do next. We're just going to do something. So, um, Duncan, in the meantime, where can people find you between now and when next uh, we speak on this show? Um, you can find me on podcasts under the stairs. Go to tputtscast.com or facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputtscast or just search podcasts under the stairs anywhere. Um, we are doing lots of cool stuff. And um, over the next week or so, you're going to hear my reports back from Glasgow Fright Fest. Uh, two days of full-on brand-new horror movies. Uh, a couple of them look really, really interesting. So, um, yeah, I'll be talking a lot about upcoming horror movies. What about yourself, Bo? Uh, I will be mostly listening to your show and doing uh, a, a second podcast called uh, The Podcast uh, Under the Podcast Under the Stairs, uh, in which I just recap your shows. <laughs> You're such a why why bo why do you torture me uh, you've got about a million shows you don't fucking yeah yeah yeah. go over to leechandpodcasts.com yeah. uh we're about to wrap up uh the final season actually when you hear this uh it'll be right before the final episode of season five of pick six movies drops uh which uh is no spoiler to say is the film suicide squad which is terrible um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, legionpodcast.com, uh, and all the other shows over there. Um, and I think that's going to do it sadly. Uh, so Duncan, until, uh, we go on a midnight run, uh, say good night to everybody. He doesn't like to fly. What the fuck does that mean? I saw a couple of chickens I might go after. <laughs> Bye everyone. <laughs>